Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the astrological forecast for September of 2022. Joining me today in the studio is astrologers Austin Kopic and Catherine Urban. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Chris. Hey, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining me here in person in Denver. So the two of you flew in yesterday, and you're going to be attending the big conference for the International Society for Astrological Research that's taking place this weekend. And we decided to record this forecast in person. Yeah, I'm attending. I believe Austin is speaking now. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm supposed to. That's what I've heard. I don't know. Uh, so you I need to check and see what they're you know, if that's if that's something I have to do or if it's just an option. Yeah, I love that because it's like work. You're actually working this weekend, whereas like Catherine gets to just like hang out and like go to lectures and like learn different astrology techniques and stuff. You've got to actually do your job. I mean, it's the expectation. Yeah. Do I have to? There's right. al- Chris, there's always a choice. Mars is in Gemini. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure um, once once I get going, I won't shut up for hours. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the moon and Gemini effect is real. The moon, yes, indeed. And uh, goaded onward by that Mars and Gemini. Mars and Gemini getting ready to station. We will be talking about that a lot in this episode. Um, all right. So first things first, let me do a quick little overview of some of the transits this month. Then we're going to spend some time doing a review of some major news uh, and astrological transits that we've observed over the course of the past month since our last forecast. And then after that, we'll dive into the uh, forecast for September. So for those that want to jump ahead to the forecast, just look for the timestamps um, in the bottom in the description of this video on YouTube or on the podcast website. All right, so here is the planetary movements calendar that shows where the planets will start at the beginning of the month and how far through the signs the zodiac they'll get by the end of the month. We also have a planetary alignments calendar that was put together by Paula Bellomini. And some of the major ingresses and stations and lunations this month, we start with a Venus ingress on the 5th of September when Venus moves into the sign of Virgo and departs from a relatively brief trip through Leo that took place last month in August. Then Mercury slows down and stations retrograde in the sign of Libra on the 9th of September. The following day, we have a full moon in the sign of Pisces. Uh, Then we skip a week and eventually get to the ingress of the sun into Libra, which is the beginning of the fall season in the northern hemisphere on the 22nd of September. The very next day, we have a Sun-Mercury Kazemi, which is the halfway point of the Mercury retrograde cycle. And on that same day, Mercury retrogrades back from Libra into the sign of Virgo on the 23rd of September. Then we have our second lunation of the month, which is a new moon in the sign of Libra on the 25th. And finally, Venus moves into her home sign of Libra on the 29th of September. So those are some of the major things that we're going to be talking about during the course of this episode and over the course of the next month that we're looking at astrologically here. All right. So um, first things first, in terms of positive news, are you guys both excited about this ESAR conference? It's the f- only the second time that there's been a major astrological conference um, you know, since the pandemic. The last one was the Northwest Astrology Conference in Seattle in May that I know you attended, Austin. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty good time. <clears throat> yeah, it was. I mean, Norwalk is always good, <clears throat> but uh, it, there was a special uh, there was a special excitement or energy um, from people who, do, who hadn't got hadn't gone together, hadn't seen each other in years. Right. You know, when you're used to 
you know, there are a lot of relationships that you don't necessarily have to work to maintain because you're just going to see each other at the next thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that hadn't happened, right, from through 2020 onward. And so it was just great to reconnect with people. Uh, and I imagine that there'll be a lot of that at uh, ESAR this weekend. Yeah, I know a lot of the older astrologers said that they used to like measure time by time between astrology conferences, especially the United Astrology Conference, since it would take place regularly every like three or four years. And when we stopped having conferences over the past couple of years, that really like threw off my measurement of time as well as like a lot of like social interactions because all of us are spread out all over the world. And that's usually when you meet up and catch up with friends periodically, like once or twice a year at these conferences. Yeah. And it's nice to meet people who you've been building community with online because that's something that's grown in a really robust way since the pandemic, too. So right. that's yeah, of course, conferences are always fun. But that's why I'm looking forward to ESAR because we haven't seen each other in a long time. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be an extra special edge to this one of reunion. Yeah. And I love that because most then of my knowledge of specific astrologers at this point from Twitter is just based on my estimation of how good their memes are. They're like astrology memes. So there's like <laughs> a lot of people. I know there are some people like like Sylvie Osland, who I only knew from online of like just like they make amazing astrology memes yeah. until I met them and, and met found out that they were a great person in person as well as in terms of their quality meme content. <laughs> so I'm sure there'll be people like that here. Yeah. Shout out to Sylvie and their right. excellent memes. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. And this conference, it was originally supposed to take place in 2020. So they were planning it way back in like 2017, 2018. So it's been put off like several times until it's finally happening now. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And there's something like 500, 600 people flying in from around the world this week in order to attend this conference. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. Come say hello. Yeah. All right. So. Oh, and if you come say hello to me and you're further than 15 feet away and I just squint at you with what seems like derision or hate, it's just that my eyesight isn't very good and I'm really trying to make out the facial features and maybe name tag. Right. So please come within 10 feet. Okay. Um, and then if I squint at you with derision, I mean it. Yeah. But if you're further than 15 feet out. That's, you know, a misunderstanding. Okay. I'm kind of like in between right now, so I'm not going to know during the course of this episode. If... <laughs> oh, you're close enough. You're squ Okay. You're squinting at me or... Yeah, you'll know. Yeah. All right. The evil eye, um, which, yeah, takes us back. There's no peacocks of war that were unleashed last month with your background. Uh, so this month we'll have to make do. All right. So Well, you haven't seen the pattern on my underwear. Okay. You brought the, <laughs> you actually brought them with the the wallpaper. You just made it in the underwear. Okay. Peacocks of war. We'll not go there. Underwear. Yeah. Please yeah. be under Cartakea. That is gonna be that would be a good title of like an autobiography <laughs> for Austin Copic, the Peacocks of War. Um, all right, so let's do some review. There's been a lot of major news over the course of the past month since we did our last episode, and we'd like to check in about that sort of thing just in order to follow up on some of the alignments we were focused on when we did the last forecast and how some of that stuff played out once we actually got to that period of time and experienced the events. And I was writing down news and events, especially in the first half of the month, because towards the beginning of August, when where we had that Mars-Uranus conjunction on August 1st, 
and then the Mars Saturn square shortly after that, it seemed there was just like a bunch of crazy stuff happening in the news that was very consistent with um, some of those really tense aspects that we had focused on even in the year ahead forecast as being some of the, the, the rougher parts of the year. So one of the major things that I was writing down that happened around the time of the Mars-Uranus conjunction on August 1st, one of the primary things is that we got like a, a, a new, a, a second like bonus pandemic. So we got like pandemic part two, where suddenly the monkeypox cases started shooting up very rapidly around the world, but especially in the US, um, which I had, I think had like the leading number of cases of any country in the world. And all of a sudden around late July and early August, a bunch of states started issuing um, emergencies, like public health emergencies. So on August 2nd, California declared a state of emergency over the monkeypox outbreak. And this was following Illinois doing the same on August 1st and New York doing the same on July 29th. Um, then eventually, just a few days later on August 4th, the White House actually declared a national public health emergency for monkeypox because the cases were spreading so rapidly and in order for them to like start allocating resources in order to deal with it and develop new vaccines or get a hold of vaccines that were being made in Europe and distributing them and everything else. Weirdly, on August 4th, the same day they issued that announcement of the public health emergency, there was this other weird news story that was very Mars-Uranus conjunction, which is that um, three people were killed by a lightning strike near the White House uh, that Thursday, and one person was in critical condition. So I thought that was a weird synchronicity in terms of that, and I don't know fully what the symbolism is, but... Um, you don't you hear that happening like every day, like people dying from a lightning strike at the White House the day they, you know, signal a public health emergency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I haven't studied it in depth, but I certainly associate um, Uranus most with being struck by lightning, right? Because it's in it has all the like classic um, hallmarks of being like a massive, um, a massive and irresistible release of energy that happens, um, you know, in a moment. Mm -hmm. So that would have been when Mars and Uranus aligned with the North Node right there at the beginning of August. Right. That's pretty literal how that showed up. Yeah, especially Mars, Uranus, because it's like a sudden violent thing, especially if it's striking somebody and if it's, you know, hitting them direct enough and hard enough that it's actually, you know, killing, that there's actually mortalities involved. Let me see if I can share the... Yeah, well, and we had, um, we had the Mars square Saturn was also really tight at that same time, right? which Mars Saturn is just sort of the classic, um, you know, can murder you um, if the mood is right combo, and then adding that to Uranus in the North Node. The, um, there were the, uh, the fight cards during that early August period um, were really annoying because they're kept, because um, in interesting and important bouts kept getting ended prematurely by freak injuries. There'd be like freak eye poke, freak somebody's um, knee just goes out in the first round. And so I was like, this fucking Mars Uranus thing. Like, you know, you think you're like, I'm like, okay, or maybe it'll be exciting fights. And it's like, no, it's injury, right? The people are getting injured, but not in the heroic, entertaining way that mm -hmm. you wanted when you, you know, paid $70 to watch the card. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was crazy. I know, Catherine, you and I had talked about that uh, the monkeypox and how it was really interesting that it seemed to really ramp up over the past month or, or two 
as Mars was transiting through Taurus and then forming that square with Saturn, because then you can kind of tie that back into earlier this year when we had our most recent Mars-Saturn conjunction in the sign of Aquarius. And um, that was when the whole monkeypox thing seemed to really start to spread internationally at that point earlier this year. And that was like the beginnings of a new pandemic. Interestingly, exactly two years uh, after the last Mars-Saturn conjunction, when all of the lockdowns took place and when the COVID pandemic really exploded uh, all over the world. Yeah, I remember you and Austin talking about what that might bring about, that Mars-Saturn conjunction back in, I think that was February, and how, yeah, connecting it back to the first one when COVID came out, and there was a lot of speculation, what will this Mars Saturn conjunction bring? And monkeypox came out. And that was a shocker. That was like a little bit like, oh, we're doing this again. But yeah, certainly at this at this square, at this opening square, we did see that ramp up. Yeah, because that was one of the things that was so fascinating following where I hadn't studied the astrology of pandemics much, much prior to twenty. 2020, but then seeing the opening of that pandemic with that pileup of planets in Capricorn in early 2020, and especially the Mars-Saturn conjunction as well as the Saturn-Pluto, and then at every subsequent hard aspect between Mars and Saturn over the next like two years, we got a new development and often like new variants in the COVID story. Mm-hmm. Um, that first square, then opposition, like the Delta variants, uh, Omicron. Omicron. Omicron variants was like Mars in Scorpio, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Delta, I think, was Mars in Leo, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it will be interesting if we can do sort of a similar thing in terms of tracking this pandemic and, you know, how well it's be able to be like fought off and suppressed or, you know, made into not a big deal versus how much it continues to spread as a major thing as we get, you know, those critical turning points in the Mars Saturn cycle at the next hard aspects. Yeah. yeah, and I would add to that, um, you know, as far as like which horsemen are most active during a given Mars-Saturn cycle, you know, we have, you know, pestilence or plague, but then, you know, we also have, um, you know, famine and war this time as well. And so I imagine there'll be a fair amount of being able to track those um, via the, the Mars-Saturn cycle. Mm-hmm. And so one interesting bit about the Mars-Saturn cycle that'll tie into a topic we're going to get to later is that while we're at the square now, um, it's going to be, and we you get the opposition after Mars does another three signs, but it's going to be a lot longer than normal because Mars is going to have, you know, basically an eight month pause in one sign right before it gets onto the rest of the cycle. So the, <clears throat> the distance between the time distance between the Mars-Saturn square and the Mars-Saturn opposition, instead of being six months, um, is going to be more like 12 months or mm, 11 months. Yeah. Um, and so that, we have this sort of, yeah, th- this pause coming up in that cycle. And that's due to the Mars retrograde that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about in this episode. Um, so here's a new graphic that uh, Stellagraphia made for me from Reddit that shows uh, the upcoming Mars retrograde and when the shadow period begins, which is actually this month on September 3rd, when Mars passes eight degrees of Gemini, since that's the degree that it will later retrograde back to. Um, and then we have the retrograde station itself in late October, the direct station in January, and finally 
the post retrograde shadow ending in mid March, although it's not until a little bit after that that Mar- Mars actually leaves Gemini. Yeah, it's almost April before Mars leaves Gemini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, March 25th. And uh, luckily for the mutable signs, that's just in time for Saturn to ingress into Pisces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super so, pumped. Yeah, yeah. Exciting, exciting times to be a mutable person. I'm okay with that. It'll take a little bit of the a little bit of the weight off of the fixed signs that have been getting the brunt of it over the past couple of years with Saturn going through Aquarius and then more recently the the lovely set of eclipses that have been taking place that have been uh, sometimes destabilizing and causing major endings or major beginnings with a, a lot of the fixed sign people I know. A lot of churn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. churning. Um, all right, so that is a whole thing that we're, we're tracking and paying attention to in terms of pandem- pandemic part two. Uh, with a vengeance, other news stories. Um, one of the interesting things that we talked about a little bit, but I don't know if we articulate in the exact way where we talked about, you know, 12 years ago, one of the things I remembered so vividly about Jupiter and Aries and the Mars Jupiter conjunction in Aries was around the time that that happened, there was the um, assassination of Osama bin Laden. And now, weirdly, 12 years later, we've got Jupiter and Aries again, and we've seen like a rash of assassinations suddenly taking place recently over the course of the past month or so, which has been really striking to see. Right. We had Shinzo Abe, who is the former premier uh, prime minister of Japan. Um, we had, um, uh, was it Zahari? Yeah, Ayman al-Zahari, yeah. who was the second, well, he was the leader at this point of al-Qaeda after Bin Laden was killed 12 years ago. So it's exactly one Jupiter cycle later, this, the next leader basically of Al-Qaeda was was assassinated. So is it Zawahiri? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, forgive me for my lack of pronunciation. People know how to pronounce it. Um, and then we also had the daughter of a prominent Russian sort of political oligarch. figure. No, he wasn't an oligarch. Um, he's sort of a leading intellectual figure on, we could say, the Russian right. Maybe that's not a bad way to characterize him. Alexander Dugan's uh, daughter was exploded in a car bomb that I believe was, people believe was meant for him, mm-hmm. which is very high level assassination within Russia. That's yeah. a, that's a, that's a lot of, um, it's a lot of assassinations for one month. Yeah, that is a lot. And I am kind of associating that a little bit with the Jupiter and Aries stuff. I know there's other things going on in terms of that, but that was definitely a crazy one in terms of uh, they're obviously attempting to assassinate him. And then supposedly there was a they changed cars at the last minute and then his daughter was killed. And that seems like because there's also speculation about like who did that? Was it like Ukraine? Was it the US or other foreign agents or was it? some sort of internal power struggle that's taking place in Russia right now that's sort of a preview of, you know, future instability or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, uh, as, I, as I said to you um, uh, before, and as we've talked about on the podcast, um, the, Saturn, the, the years when Saturn and Neptune are conjunct or co-present um, are always, uh, have been for the last hundred plus years, um, like a major, uh, a major pivot point for Russia. 
um, you know, we had last time was the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, the time before that was the death of Stalin. Time before that was the Russian Revolution. And so it's, you know, and so we are not at that point yet, but that starts next uh, March, right? So we're at the doorstep. So some sort of churning and instability or volatilization um, internally with Russia just makes sense historically if we're that close to, um, you know, to a pairing of planets that at least for the last hundred plus years has reliably meant big change in the internal governance and structure of Russia. Right. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, it was interesting about the target of that one is that this guy, you know, there's different speculation about the extent to which he wrote a book in 1997 that kind of eerily seems to outline many of the steps that Russia ended up taking over the past two decades, um, including, um, you know, some of the things it, it, it advocated like intervention in the UK and getting trying to encourage the UK to break away from the EU. Hmm. It tried to advocate um, using means like propaganda means in order to increase internal tensions in the United States in order to sort of sideline the U United States and in order to distance it from NATO and its alliances. Um, and then it also mentioned, um, you know, taking Ukraine back and making it a part of Russia again, even though it was an independent country in 1997. So um, that's one of the reasons that a lot of people are paying attention to what just happened in the attempt to assassinate this guy because of the questions about how much he's been very influential, at the very least, in influencing some of Russia's direction and policy over the course of the past couple of decades. Yeah, and people sort of abbreviate Dugan as, um, as Putin's Rasputin. Um, which is like vaguely not entirely wrong as far as like a catchphrase or like a you know something condensed into a hot take. It seems like he's had a a pretty significant like um, ideological impact and perhaps uh, even a strong policy impact. But there there's a lot of like I, what I've looked into it, I've seen a lot of argument as to how close or not close he is with Putin and you know direct influence and all that. But yeah, an important figure, certainly, in in uh, contemporary Russian politics and for some time. Yeah, and and his daughter was 29 years old, so she was Saturn in Aquarius. So that's kind of a, even just from like a personal human standpoint, kind of a sad Saturn return story from an astrological perspective of, you know, a person only living as long as their first Saturn return or Saturn cycle for whatever that's worth. So uh, anyways, so not to dwell on that any longer, um, other news stories or the other major things, I guess the other major thing that came up in the news that all the astrologers were paying attention to and talking about was the um, raid on Trump's, one of Trump's homes in Mar-a-Lago Mar in Florida, where the FBI raided his house and like broke into or opened up a safe that contained some documents and took them. And the rumors are that it has something to do with having classified documents that he wasn't supposed to have and whether that was legal or not legal and whether he'll run into um, actual legal issues as a result of that if they'll pursue legal charges. But um, all the astrologers noticed that when that raid took place that Mars was at about 23, 24 Taurus, which was exactly on the degree of Trump's midheaven at 24 Taurus. So that was a pretty striking um, astrological transit or an example of an astrological transit where it's not just you know, conjoining his midheaven, but also by extension, it would be opposing his eye, the degree of his IC, and literally his wow. house was like 
you know, broke into or like penetrated by foreign, not foreign, but outside forces, and then things were like taken forcibly. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and um, with it, if, if we're doing Leo rising, right, we've got Mars at the top of the chart, and then in a very prominent public place, and this is certainly uh, an event that people have been talking about, um, but Mars is the ruler of the fourth. So Mars is naturally going to, um, in a Leo rising chart, Mars is going to tell you about the status of the home and whether or not there are um, federal agents um, <laughs> uh, entering it. Entering your home. Um, you know, that's one thing with, people think Mars and soldiers, and that's not wrong, but um, any sort of armed enforcement agents of, you know, any uh, any particular group or agency, like, are Mars soldiers. Right. Right, and so it's not just uh, cops and soldiers. Yeah, and one of the themes I was seeing around that event was this very Saturnian theme of consequences. So Trump definitely experienced that, um, the raid or the search of his home. But I also saw Alex Jones was on trial, too. And then mm. there was also the trial of Brittany Griner. Right. So what we saw was were some big decisions that week with Saturn mm. um, being closely involved with the nodes and with Mars squaring Saturn closely configured to the nodes. That was a very palpable theme for me was this Saturnian theme of consequences and decisions. Who is Brittany Griner? She was the WNBA player and she got stopped at a Russian airport with oh. like a gram of CBD or something like that. But so a lot of people were critiquing that her sentence was very harsh, but there's kind of like a strategy. Apparently, the Russians are trying to trade prisoners, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, yeah. So she was a basketball, but the timing was just terrible because she was arrested with uh, some marijuana, uh, li- <laughs> literally like the same month or like a week before the invasion of Ukraine. Oh. Yeah. It's just like the worst time to be an American and getting arrested for breaking the law in Russia because the US and Russia, you know, their tensions just came to a head worse than they've been in over 30 years at that point, literally the same month. So she ended up being a, a bit of a political pawn and has been sentenced to, I think, nine years in prison mm-hmm. uh, for for that. So there's a lot of questions right now about whether um, they'll be able to trade and do it like a prisoner swap or whether she's, you know, in trouble for the long term. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's that's interesting, the Saturnian theme. <clears throat> and I would add to that, it seems like they're, how should we say, they're, they're like the topic of um, what will be the result of these actions or what will be the penalty for these actions seems to have been brought up. Um, but the results in a lot of cases seem, how should we say, up in the air. Um, with the Mar-a-Lago raid, it's like, well, that happened, and you know, I've heard, um, you know, twenty different scenarios of how it can play out, but it doesn't seem very clear. Um, and even with, uh, from what I know of the Alex Jones stuff, it's like, well, there's this sentence, but then there's this and this, and so it might not be the blah blah blah. Um, and then, even though this isn't um, a matter of um, <clears throat> legal justice, another thing that happened last month was the. Um, saber rattling uh, around Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, right? On the, and the the boundary testing and the escalation of tensions that was also around the time of the Mars Uranus yeah. conjunction. Yeah, it was yeah. on August second, actually. Yeah, and so we just have this. Um, we've had this theme where, like, st- like, what are the consequences of that? 
Um, so all this is getting brought up, but I think because we have the we've had the sort of unstable who the fuck knows quality of Uranus and Rahu or the North Node um, in these configurations, it's sort of like this happened, and well, I don't know what the result's going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's it's almost like you, you can pretty. Um, pretty meaningfully fold in the like 30 different things we have on our <laughs> on our docket right um, into a like it's just all escalating instability and volatility and like um, in, a, in, in a very predictable way right which we said well this is all just going to add to the instability it's an instability it's a spike of instability and so the consequences of every one of these things, it's sort of like, well, what does that mean? It means it actually means more things could happen because it means things are more up in the air and less settled than we thought, whether it's, you know, the um, U.S. and China, whether it's internal Russian politics, uh, whether it's uh, monkeypox. It's sort of like, who, you know, there's a very strong who fucking knows um, because it's almost like opening up questions um, via events rather than like showing us what outcomes are going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you're saying is all it's just reminding me that it's happening in the backdrop and that Mars Uranus stuff was really reactivating the Saturn Uranus square, which keeps inching closer and closer to the closest to, closest it's going to get this year. Um, over the course of the next month in late September and early October. Um, but just that notion of of instability and like opening up, you know, some chaos where everything is suddenly up in the air that was previously settled, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saturn and Uranus get within half of a degree of one another toward the end of September. Mm-hmm. So even though we don't see any more exact hits, it's still very strong for yeah. us right now. And then yeah, of course, moving into eclipse season. So we're not we're not done with Saturn Uranus yet. Yeah. Um, that's a very important. That's a really good reminder. And then the last thing, and then we'll move on, but about the the Trump thing with Mar-a-Lago and and notion of consequences was just it was so interesting. Last month we had talked about how Mars, when it was transiting through the early degrees of Taurus, we saw so much news and focus on the um, hearings that were taking place about the January 6th commission, basically. And they were sort of dredging up all of those things that had happened the last time that Mars was in early Taurus, which is actually when the January 6th insurrection took place. Yes. So a Mars return in this instance back into Trump's 10th house was kind of like re-dredging up and, and releasing news about something that had happened previously that was kind of like not good for his 10th house and his career. But then what was interesting from a technical standpoint, just purely as an astrologer, was then that was when Mars was early in the 10th whole sign house, but it was when Mars got to the exact degree of his midheaven at 24 Taurus that the Mar-a-Lago raid took place, and then something potentially more more detrimental to his career and uh, other 10th house sort of life direction things actually took place with the FBI raid. Um, so it's like a little bit of a distinction between that we always talk about as a, as a theoretical distinction where if something's transiting through your 10th whole sign house, you'll start sometimes getting significations of that planet. If it's a malefic, sometimes problems, or if it's a benefic, sometimes good things. But when it builds up and actually hits the degree of the midheaven, sometimes that's like the most potent uh, time for some sort of major event to take place uh, during the course of that transit. Yeah. And in this case, because this was such a public Mars conjunction with his midheaven, 
that event, the search of Mar-a-Lago, that led to a lot of anger. A lot of people reacted to that event uh like in a in a very angry way. And that could be attributed to Mars's alignment with Algol, because his midheaven isn't too far away from it. So a couple days later, we saw a couple very Algol events take place. There was the nail gun in Cincinnati. Explain it. So the guy, there was a guy who decided he was going to retaliate against the FBI and he took a nail gun into the FBI building in Cincinnati and thought he could get through the bulletproof glass with it, shot a bunch of them. Um, and then he he tried to escape and then there was a chase and he was ultimately killed by the FBI. Right. He died in like a shootout in like a cornfield with the FBI. Mm-hmm. So there was that. There's a lot of fear. A lot of the um, conservatives were saying to disband the FBI and other stuff. And that ramped up sometimes like a crazy person that actually went in and tried to kill a bunch of FBI members. Um, yeah. We talk about like Algol and losing your head. Right. Yeah. Right. Like I'm, you know, it's, I'm going to fight the FBI with a, a nail gun and a, whatever. I think he had a sidearm or a rifle, but like, you know, that's not a, <laughs> that's not a rational calculation. Yeah. yeah. Even if you're very, you know, even if you have a legitimate critique of the FBI as an institution, that is um, not going to be an effective way of facilitating change other than the change from being alive to being dead. Yeah. And then there was one other Mars algal one. So obviously with Mars being a malefic planet and having a lot to do with injury and weaponry, aligning with algal, you can see some of these pretty explosive acts that are actually kind of shocking. So the other one was that same weekend, a man crashed his car into a barricade near the Capitol and shot a bunch of bullets in the air. And then, yeah, he shot himself. Mm, Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot of tensions um, with the Mars Uranus and Mars Saturn uh, stuff last month, and it really did end up peaking. So that's really interesting to witness that and just to document it now in terms of some of the validation of things we said both in the forecast last month as well as in the year ahead forecast where that was one of the time frames we pointed to that just looked very tense and now we've sort of seen some of that so good news uh mars has departed from uh that sign has departed from taurus so we're getting going to move a little bit away at least from having that trigger of mars at the exact degrees of Saturn Uranus and some of the tensions associated with it, uh, we have some new complications we'll have to deal with with Mars going retrograde and then spending the next 10 or 20 years in the sign of Gemini. Um, but um, at least that period of, of the year is, is over and is moving into the past at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was all of the um, news stuff that I wanted to review for this month. Is there anything else we should mention before we move into the forecast? I think that about covers it. I mean, it was basically a, you know, what we predicted was basically chaos grab bag. Hmm. And that's what we got. You know, it was all sorts of things, all sorts of little volatizing, uh, destabilizing things. There was, um, we might want to mention, we talked about explosions and there is another large explosion in Beirut. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just, you know, um, destabilization on a physical structural level. Um, it fits in, um, fits in very nicely with all of the other types of explosive, um, and destabilizing events that we've described. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, 
like a grain silo that had been damaged in the explosion back in August of 2020 um, caught fire and then collapsed on July 31st. So it was kind of redredging up a lot of the the things from what had happened with that two years earlier and was a yeah like a very Mars Uranus type type alignment or event. All right, cool. Well, in that case, why don't we transition into talking about the forecast? Yeah. Um, let's see. So, oh yeah, why don't we mention the software and our sponsor for this episode? So people are always asking me what software I use on the forecast episodes. Uh, so I thought I'd go ahead and mention it here. So we use a, a software um, called SolarFire for Windows. Uh, which is a software program or a whole suite that's made by a company called Astrolabe at alabe.com. And this is what we use to cast natal charts. We also use it to animate charts, to move them forward and backwards in time. And um, it can also be used to store like a large database of charts and have different folders. You can do research projects and so you can search through the files and search through different placements. So this is super helpful for me when I was researching my book because with SolarFire you can you know put it and say show me every chart that has Cancer rising and like Venus and Libra for example and then it will spit out like ten of the charts that you have in your folder that have that placement so it kind of like speeds up research and is a good tool for that um, so that's the program I use for Windows and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a fifteen percent discount on that program at alabe.com. And the other program that I use for Mac, when I'm using Mac, is made by the same programming company originally, but it's called Astro Gold for Mac OS. And this is also like SolarFire in that it's a full suite, but they've been integrating both modern and as well as some great traditional astrology techniques over the past few years that it'll calculate lots or Arabic parts, it'll calculate zodiac releasing, annual perfections, and a bunch of cool techniques like that that they've been asking me about and then implementing in the program over the past few years. So you can get that program at astrogold.io, and you can get a 15% discount by using the promo code astropodcast15, all one word, um, to get a discount on that. Is that what, what programs do you two use? Uh, I'm using that right now. I'm using, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm using, I've got solar fire up right now and I've been clicking back and forth between the days of August and September. Nice. No, it's great. Um, I, you know, I dare say it's kind of just the gold standard for chart software. Maybe there's something else out there that I don't know about. And I don't mean to insult them, but like, it's kind of, it's the baseline does everything you need. It's, it's sort of the baseline professional astrology software. Um, and you can customize the display so that it shows you the points that you want and does not show you the points that you don't want. Obviously you can choose house system, but yeah, you can you can just have it. You uh, you can customize it so that it does it the way that you like. Yeah, I've used that as my primary astrology software for I don't know five years. I think whatever the last time they, that uh, uh, Alabe ran a uh, a discount, I used the discount and mm. bought it. Or was the last time that we advertised a discount? <laughs> right. Yeah, you probably used my promo code. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally used the promo code. Okay. I'm say five years ago. Yeah, I think everybody starts, you know, with like Astrodoc, especially from our generation with the three of us, we all start with like Astro.com, which is mm -hmm. like a free place, but you can only store up to like, 
you know, 100 charts, so it's kind of limited, but everybody eventually graduates, especially once you get into professional astrology, doing it more seriously into getting solar fire, where you can just have so many more options and store an infinite amount of charts. Yeah, I think for me, when I was using astro.com, they would only let you have 20 charts. Okay. So that's why I got, I started using solar fire 10 years ago. And it's a super user-friendly software. Mm. It's really easy to just jump right in there and get to get to chart reading. But I continue to learn new things about it all mm. the time. Like there's, I just learned how to add those user-defined points. I just learned how to do that not too long ago. Mm. So yeah, I'm always learning new things about the software, which is super cool. Yeah. And I've got a special layout that I designed that's available uh, I have a YouTube video about it. So if you just like search Hellenistic layout for solar fire, you'll find the video that I put out that has a link to download my exact page file for solar fire. So you can get your charts to look exactly like this that shows the Arabic parts and everything else. I think that's where I learned how to do that. Okay. All right, cool. Well, all right. So that's our, our plug for solar fire and astro gold. Why don't we move into talking about the forecast in in earnest at this point for September? All right, so let me cast a chart for September 1st in Solar Fire. And there's the chart for the moment. We did a Scorpio rising electional chart today with the moon applying to conjoin Venus. Very, very beautiful. All right, here's the chart for September 1st set for about noon. This is where the planets will start out at the very beginning of the month. Um, so we see the sun moving through Virgo. So we're about nine degrees into Virgo season at the beginning of September. Um, I've got to record the Virgo episode here pretty soon. Let me make sure that's showing. Yes. Okay. So other chart placements, we see Mars is at six degrees of Gemini. So it's there in Gemini, like we said, through March and April, basically. But it's only two degrees away from hitting its shadow degree. When it gets to eight degrees of Gemini, that's the degree that it's going to retrograde back to. So as soon as we open September, it's just like, bam, Mars and Gemini show has begun, essentially, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Similar to what you were saying in our example chart earlier, uh, Mars entering Gemini is going to present some themes. So by the beginning of September, we are settling into that new energy. And Shortly as we get into September, it's September 3rd when Mars aligns with that degree it's going to retrograde back to mm -hmm. in the middle of January, we should start to have a better idea of what it is that we're going to be working with during our personal Mars retrograde story. For sure. Yeah. And that's the important thing about shadow degrees is sometimes you'll do something at that point when Mars passes over the shadow degree or once shortly after it passes over that point in between the shadow degree and once it gets to the actual station in late October, sometimes you'll do something that you think is just like a once and done thing, or you, you do something that you think shouldn't be a big deal and it should be over with once you accomplish it. But sort of similar to a Mercury retrograde, when Mars eventually stations retrograde and comes back to those degrees, it's it's revisiting something. It's revisiting a part of your chart that Mars had tread over previously. So sometimes you have to go back and sometimes it stretches out or extends a series of events um, much longer than it would be otherwise when Mars transits are usually very, very brief things. Yeah. And uh, I actually, 
bore witness to a great example of that last weekend with Mars's ingress into Gemini. Right. So there's the the shadow degrees, um, which is one way of thinking of the total shape of the Mars retrograde. But then there's also just the it's going to be in Gemini from this last weekend um, until the until the 25th of March. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have the moon in Gemini like me or if you have any planet in Gemini, it, there, Mars is going to be hanging out um, with that planet the entire time. And so you have. Um, just like as Chris, you parallel it with Mercury. Usually, a Mercury Mercury story lasts, you know, three or four weeks. Um, except with the Mercury retrograde, where you might have two months of Mercury in the same sign. And if, for example, you have Mars in Gemini, you are about to have the probably the longest Mars return of your entire life, where it's going to be eight months of Mars in the same sign. And so. Last weekend, literally the day of Mars's ingress into Gemini, um, there was uh, a mixed martial arts match between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards. And Kamaru is largely acknowledged as sort of the greatest pound for pound fighter who's currently active. And everybody was talking about who he's going to fight next after Leon and next after that, because it was just assumed he was going to plow through him. He was <clears throat> one away from tying the all-time greatest win streak and everybody just thought he was going to bulldoze through um and he did 24 minutes out of the 25 and then at about the 24 minute mark uh he got head kicked perfectly and was just in another dimension he was sent to the the shadow realm as it were it was a massive upset and I was looking, I went and, and so, uh, and so it literally destroyed the wind streak, which took 10 years to build, completely changed the story. And I was, and I went and looked up Kamaru's chart. We don't have a birth. Uh, we don't have a, like a time of birth, but we have the day. And sure enough, he has Mars and Gemini and it's right. It's about 25. It's right where Mars is going to station retrograde. Mm. And so instead of the a one and done Mars story, like defeat this opponent, fight somebody new in four months, defeat them, et cetera, et cetera. It's now going to be this odyssey of Kenny in you know, all these questions, Mars questions, right? Mercury retrograde um, problematizes or um, turns statements into questions. And all retrogrades do that to a certain degree. And with Mars, it's Mars questions, right? Um, people thought Kamaru's supremacy was a certain thing. It was relatively unquestioned. People would be like, yeah, but he's boring, right? Um, he, of course he wins, but he's boring. Or no, he's exciting. You just can't see it. Mm. But now the question is like, oh, uh, is this over? Um, was this hype, blah, blah, blah. And from a very simple, like lived level, uh, his entire life is going to be about the rematch probably for the next eight months. Right. So he's going to be going through like a Rocky style, like trading montage over the next several months in order to have a rematch. Yeah. It's, and it's in, in the huge questions he hasn't had questions around his performance or his career like this for 10 years. Mm. It's yeah. just been like this slow, steady, win, 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 right? And, it, and um, you know, we're talking about the martial realm here with Mars, right? And um, in um, whatever arena of life is martial, there are dramatic wins and losses, right? Mars is um, very harsh to losers and very kind to winners, right? It's um, a, a polarizing planet in that sense. 
Um, and so, yeah, that whole story is different now. And from Leon's perspective, and of course, uh, when you look at Leon's chart, he has Mars at like 20 Virgo. So squared Mars also going to get transited this whole time um, by square, but it's the other Mercury ruled Mars. So of course, they're wrapped up in this story together. We're like, oh, was that just a fluke? You know, are, are you the real champion or did you just get lucky for literally one quarter of one second? Right. And so I, I um, and the sometimes there are rematches immediately. Sometimes there aren't. The, in this case, there absolutely will. So it's, again, Mars retrograde. What, what are things going to look like at the end of the Mars retrograde is like both of these men's lives for the next eight months. Right. Yeah. And 10 years of a winning streak is quite a long time. That sort of sets like a, a standard for a person. And very often a Mars retrograde is a question of what's my direction? Where am I going? What's my plan of attack? So uh, whether you are <laughs> yeah. this specific fighter or someone listening in the audience, yeah, that's some of the things that are going to start to come up for us is what what is my plan of attack? What direction am I going? And Mars will also bring up a lot of themes around what we're passionate about, what we desire, what we're going after. And with Mars and Gemini tending to scatter our energy a little bit, that can make it like a bigger question of, um, yeah, which pathway feels the most viable for me at this time. So that'll be a lot of a lot of those different pathways should be bubbling up for us now. Yeah. So over the next like eight months, all of us will have our own personal like Rocky style trading montage where like I have the tigers playing in the background and you're having to maybe have some obstacle or in some instances, some defeat and then having to linger on that point and sometimes go back and attempt to, you know, win a second round or maybe even a third round. In some instances, as Mars passes back over certain degrees of the chart, especially if you have anything between eight and 25 degrees of the mutable signs because those are the station degrees of mars mm -hmm. so if you have anything in those degrees then you're going to have three exact um, transits hard aspects of mars over those placements in your chart over the course of the next several months so super good to pay attention to what are some significations of mars why don't we talk about because since mars moved into gemini it's bringing um, in energy, it's like speeding up the pace of things in some instances, at least during the initial phase of Mars moving into that sign. But it's also bringing some heat, some inflammation. Um, what are other good Mars type keywords or significations that are relevant that people can think about when they're thinking about what whole sign house Mars has just moved into where it's going to stay for the next eight months? Mars energizes. So mm. think about the the Gemini house in your chart. Mars is energizing that. And actually here on September 1st, Mars makes its only sextile with Jupiter and Aries. Mm. And to me, that's like a go ahead. That's like this Jupiter and Aries go on, take the risk. And Mars is like, yeah, I'm about that. And so there's something about wanting to diversify Gemini, like scatter your direction a little bit. And um, yeah, so Mars is definitely energizing this area of our chart. Yeah, I like that sextile on, on September 1st. It's a positive sextile between Mars and Jupiter with reception. Yeah. Um, we see Mercury is trining Mars um, also with reception, although it doesn't complete the aspect because Mercury is going to slow down and station retrograde. 
Um, so that's emphasizing some other sort of retrograde energy this month that we'll be talking about more later. But at least initially, the first part of the month, there's something flowing about some of those aspects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Sorry, I was just jotting a few things down. Um, so yeah, bring in Gemini, Mars brings the Mars brings that you know hot and sharp energy to communications and speech. <clears throat> I was actually, I felt like I, I fully connected with the Mars and Gemini energy for the first time yesterday when I was stressing about the introduction to mantras talk that I'm giving at ISAR. Um, and I was just connecting. I was like, I was like, oh, mantra, it's literally all about the power of speech. Right. Um, you know, what is spoken or articulated and the structure of speech. Um, to affect one's reality as well as perhaps shared reality. Mm. And I, I felt, I don't know, I felt like a, uh, I felt the Mars and Gemini sort of join in with that. It was like, yes, this is really, um, <laughs> in the beginning was the word, and the word uh, is powerful in shaping events. Um, so that as a general theme. Um, also, whenever you have Mars and a Mercury connection, just the... Uh, um, you have uh, how can mar uh, how can words be malefic, right? So you have criticisms, you have slander and gossip, which you know I don't know is almost a little bit of uh, the baseline is so high in the age of social media it seems almost counterproductive to say oh this is a, a slander transit, but it is it is, um, and then in terms of like sort of martial archetypes or situations, on a personal level, I think of. There, there's, I think of the uh, a title of a book comes to mind, which is a collection of movement patterns, which is footwork wins fights, mm. right? Not the punches or the kicks or the wrestling, but the pattern of movement, right? That makes any of those possible or impossible. And then in an explicit warfare context, um, I think Intel and air power seem like Mars and Gemini. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioning like slander, what was the phrase? Slant, uh, Mercury, Mercury yeah. and Gemini is it's like give, it's giving internet troll energy. Yeah, well, what was funny about that is that just reminded me that the very first tweet on Twitter happened during Mars and Gemini. So there's like, oh, a yeah. Twitter has a nice yeah. Mars and Gemini signature in terms of that. Short and sweet. Not always sweet. <laughs> not but, always yeah. sweet. <laughs> yeah. Short, short and not always cutting sweet. to the point. Yeah, sometimes just like um, brutally pithy statements that get to the core of something that might be like a difficult thing on the receiving end. Um, but uh, yeah, Mars can be very direct. That brings me to another funny layer of that. And that's that like the popularization of, of Twitter made it sort of more acceptable to not use punctuation or like proper capitalization and whatnot. And Gemini, it just kind of puts it out there. Mm. And that's one of the things that I like about Mars and Gemini is that it gives you the freedom to try something out without expectation of it being necessarily polished. Like it's mm. Mars and Gemini isn't afraid to make a little bit of a fool of themselves to fall on their ass and make a joke about it afterwards. So it gives us the freedom to try new things or new ways of taking action. Yeah, to shoot first and ask questions later, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes verbally. And that actually brings up, that reminds me in the news just in the past few days, there was a expose of a former like security person that worked for Twitter who 
um, went public saying that their security standards were really bad and that they're all sort of internal problems within the company. So that's actually kind of interesting now thinking about that as a Mars ingressing into Gemini transit as well. Oh, that, thank you for uh, saying that because another like key Mars Mercury or Mars and a Mercury sign uh, signification that you find for literally thousands of years in tax is thieves. Right. Oh. Right. The clever, agile, like circumventing uh, the defenses, you know, jumping the fence, going under, over, finding the, you know, the hole and whatever the protective structure is to, you know, to get the goods. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thieves and the, and the taking away of something, because that reminds me of something you were saying when you were talking about the fight um, and that MMA fight, because in a that context, like especially in a fighting context of, of a one-on-one thing, um, you know, the attitude that each fighter has to take is like, you have to lose in order for me to win, or you have to lose or, or even die in some instances in order for me to survive. And that sort of mentality is like a very martial type mentality. Right. Zero sum games are, right. are very, not everything's a zero sum game, but Mars likes zero sum games like chess. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, Leon Edwards literally stole what people thought was going to be Camaro's future. He can come back and he can win until, uh, until he retires, but he's never beating the, uh, that win, the win streak. That's never coming back. He never beats Anderson Silva's record. Um, like there was an entire future that was stolen. Like a story is gone now. Yeah, it was kind of like snatched in in a moment at the last minute. Well, and literally took the belt. Mm. Right? I mean, I don't think I think they make a new belt. They you don't have, they they don't actually come to your house and take the old belt. Yeah, but you know, it's a title, and um, that title is no longer his. Okay. Well, that's interesting that we have this signature of a sharp tongue with Mars and Gemini because our next aspect is Mercury and Libra opposite Jupiter. Right. So that's going to be tying us into. So let me pull that up here in the in the solar fire just to show the chart. So we see on September first, Mars or Mercury starts out at five Libra and Jupiter is at six. So yeah, the very next day, um, that day on the second and, and in, a little bit into the third, Mercury exactly opposes Jupiter from six Libra to. Uh, six degrees of Aries. So that's one of our other signatures this month um, early on. And because Mercury is slowing down and it's going to station retrograde at eight degrees of Libra, it's kind of going to hold that aspect and then repeat it when it retrogrades and goes back a second time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to be working with this one for over a month here. Mm. And sort of my the point of my segue here is that I think we're going to see some strong debate energy with this one, mm. you know, with Jupiter and Aries wanting to speak one's truth, wanting to um, put one's beliefs out there, wear them on their sleeve. And it's very outspoken, a very opinionated energy. But then you have Mercury and Libra, who is really focused on harmonization, keeping the peace, diplomacy, the presentation of language, the the curation of language, the cultivation of language. So we have these two forces sort of at odds, and we're going to be working with that all month. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good thing to keep in mind. Um, so Mercury stationing retrograde in the sign of Libra, it's already past its shadow degree because it's going to retrograde. Mercury's going to retrograde back to 24 degrees of 
Virgo. So it's going to straddle the axis or the, the cusp between Virgo and Libra. And Mercury is going to retrograde back and it's going to station, op station direct opposite to Neptune. So the opening station, the Mercury retrograde station, is going to be opposite Jupiter, and then it's going to station direct opposite Neptune. So that's kind of some some tense tense energies, like pulling things in two different directions in both instances, and that sort of emphasizing that natural tension between the Aries Libra axis as well as the Virgo Pisces axis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some keywords for that, or what keywords do you come up with, Austin, for Mercury opposite Jupiter? Okay, so Mercury, um, it, this one's complicated because Mercury, Jupiter together, um, you you know, um, okay, so Jupiter by planetary nature likes accord, likes situations that everyone can live with. Um, and Mercury, Jupiter uh, together tend to, um, uh, in natal charts, it creates um, people who have a, a, a strength for uh, oratory. Um, for example, uh, Barack Obama has a Mercury-Jupiter opposition in one in ten, or sorry, for one in seven. Um, good orator. Um, Abraham Lincoln was a, a Mercury-Jupiter guy. Like it's it's good for oration. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, to, and uh, like, uh, and um, I suppose not ironically, both of uh, both of those people gave um, speeches about um, inclusion, bringing everybody together, trying to get everybody on the same page, mm. um, which is like a Jupiter thing. Jupiter's big tent, right? And so, if we just had Mercury Jupiter in isolation. Um, I, I would suggest that kind of speech um, being more common, but um, Mars is configured to both of them, uh, Jupiter by sextile and Mercury by trine, and <clears throat> Mercury rules Mars and Mars rules Jupiter, and so Mars is, Mars can't really be ignored here, right, and that contentious element um, is absolutely a part of this, and so you know, I think there you're going to see attempts to um, bridge divides or like sit down and talk or, you know, diplomify a situation mm. with mixed results. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, because even Mercury, Mercury in Libra is very diplomatic mm -hmm. and very good at um, trying to balance both sides, but it's trying to balance it against Jupiter and Aries. Mm -hmm. I feel like Mercury in Libra is going to be hard tasked with trying to smooth things over that come out here because when Mercury retrogrades back into that opposition with Jupiter, um, Mars won't be as closely configured. So when uh, Mercury comes back, that's going to be on the 18th. Then, yeah, that's going to be at four degrees Aries Libra. So Mars won't be a part of that. So I think this first section might be really good for Things coming out in the open that maybe you weren't necessarily intending, but again, Jupiter and Aries, it's speaking your truth. But Mercury and Libra is going to have that task of trying to sort of smooth things back over afterwards. Yeah, and the, the tension of trying to keep the peace versus needing to stay true to oneself and sometimes go it alone and, uh, and the delicate balance between the two. Um, yeah, I would also add for the the Jupiter and Aries side, um, you know, sticking up for yourself, but there's also just defending your interests or the interests of your side or party, right? Like if we're talking about diplomacy on a larger scale, right? 
um, you know, a, a diplomat for a nation is speaking on behalf of and trying to preserve the interests of a given group, nation, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's not just self-interest or a matter of like confidence or self-defense, but like uh, adequately, adequately representing the interest of those, you know, of, of, of whatever organization or people you are put in position to do. Mm. Right. And Juvenarius is like, no, you defend your, you know, you look out for your own and then see what compromises can be made. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and there's something about the Mars slash Aries energy that's really raw and unfiltered and unrefined. Like this is this is what it is. This is what you get. But with Mercury and Libra, in which, by the way, Mercury is a triplicity ruler of the of the air element. So Mercury is very capable here in Libra. Mercury and Libra does very well. And there's something about this Libra energy that's very polished, very you know, taking the opposite from unrefined, there is something very refined about Mercury and Libra. So it's not that Mercury in Libra is not trying to tell the truth. Mm. It is. There's just this thought process around how my message will be perceived. Um, to, to follow up on that real quick, the, um, the Deccan that Libra... Ugh, the Deccan that Mercury spends the vast majority of this retrograde in, the first Deccan, mm. um, one of uh, a lot of the the different images for that um, kind of all come back to whether or not you're going to let sleeping dogs lie. Mm. Um, there's one image which is literally a dude with a horn, um, and it you know, and the 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 description is like, and this person is loud uh, loud about the the injustice done to the. Uh, to the poor and the weak and strong for the dispossessed and then whatnot. Then you have another, if you look at the image of the two of swords uh, in the Rider Waite deck, um, you have this very like calm by the ocean side at night, but blinded um, yeah. image. And a lot of what I get with that is it's sort of the, the indecision of staring at the sleeping dog and be like, mm, do I wake him up? Do we talk about this or do I let the sleeping dog lie? Right. It's a total Libra dilemma, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a lifelong dilemma for, um, yeah, uh, for September Libras. Yeah. Yeah. I can attest. <laughs> so this Mercury retrograde is going to be a major signature for most of this month. Um, it's going to station retrograde, like we said, on around the 8th and September 9th is when Mercury fully stations retrograde. Um, so we're going to be dealing with that all the way through uh, until it doesn't station direct until the first days of October, I believe, right? Yes, um, October 2nd. So we'll definitely be feeling that station here at the end of September. But yeah, on, on a personal level, since this is part of a big theme for us here in September, I think we're going to each learn a little bit more about communication this month with Mercury in Libra. Even a lot of people think of Libra as a relationship-oriented sign. It is. It's an air sign. And communication is such a huge component of, of relating. And so, yeah, I think with this dynamic with Jupiter, we're all going to learn a lesson or two about how we communicate. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think of, I, I guess I think of Libra... Like there's the Venus part, but when you compare like Venus ruled Taurus with Venus ruled Libra, um, Libra is much more mercurial. You know, it's an air sign and, um, it's you more know, social. 
Yeah, and it's or social conscious social consciousness. Yeah, yeah. and it, it and it's also the only sign that literally has a machine uh, as its representative. You know, a scale yeah. is a machine, and so like, and it's a machine for calculating, mm-hmm. right? You know, in a, <clears throat> most of the most traditional texts. Um, we'll mention like the sort of uh, justice side of the scale, but most people for most of history see scales in marketplaces mm. and it's for literally determining like what's a fair trade, what's a fair yeah. price for how much are you selling me, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so there's this like calculating what the, what the fair balance are, or what the fair balance is that I see planets in Libra um, and people in Libra doing constantly. Like there's, there's a relational outcome, which is the Venus, but it, it it's very much a result of calculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of internal calculation around how to, yeah, how their idea might be perceived, but also it it is calculating a way to get people on board. Um, how can how can we come up with an idea that everyone can be happy with? Because Libra is also a sign that doesn't want to upset other people, really. So a lot of times there is this idea of how can I get other people on board or see it from my side without upsetting? Yeah, and what concessions do I have to make in order to? make both attempt to make both sides happy it kind of reminds me of recently in the news there was the biden finally announced like uh what ten thousand dollars of financial relief of forgiving ten thousand dollars of debt for college loans um and then there was just sort of pretty much like criticisms from both sides of um you know, basically like liberals saying it didn't go far enough and it wasn't enough loan forgiveness or it didn't meet up to his campaign promises or conservatives saying that there shouldn't be any loan forgiveness um, at all and that it was it shouldn't be handed out in the first place. So it's interesting seeing in instances like that, those political attempts to like do something or accomplish something that one wants to accomplish, but also sometimes the heavy concessions that you have to make and in the process, nobody really ending up, you know, quite as happy as you might like. That's so interesting you bring that up, Chris, because that is happening now as we're recording this episode. And it's right now that Mercury is moving into Libra. Mm-hmm. So this may be revisited at some point through the retrograde as as Mercury retraces its steps. Yeah, that's important to bring up because even though the majority um, of the Mercury retro time is in that first second of Libra, the direct station, right? The point of okay, we can move forward from here is Mercury back in Virgo. Yeah, right. And so, you so there's something happening now that Mercury is going to revisit that we're going to have to revisit during the course of September, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with uh, the Mercury in Libra is more socially oriented in the sense of like, does this work for you? Does this work for me? Et cetera, et cetera. Who does this work for? Who does it do? Who does it not? Whereas Mercury in Virgo is much more. Um, interested is more interested and focused on facts. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, well, you know, the projections for uh, this expenditure over time will do. You know, it, it's much more that kind of thinking. Yeah, the, de- uh, the data. details. Yeah, d- data. data. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that I would have higher expectations for the sort of uh, the moving forward point or conclusion point of the retrograde if moving back into Virgo didn't bring Mercury back into opposition with Neptune. Um, because um, Neptune has a 
has a pretty disastrous of disastrous effect on mercury um if we're just looking at you know are the trains running on time mm-hmm. um you know it's there are lots of interesting possibilities in a nativity but in terms of just like keeping the mercurial things working um neptune is uh neptune is a spoiler par excellence of the you know, the data-driven clarity that Mercury at core likes to operate from. Uh, case in point, so Mercury um, just opposed Neptune, and there was a train that broke, the, there was a train that broke down in the middle, in the middle of the English Channel, the, the channel, right, which is the, the under, it was a 30-some kilometer um, undersea tunnel connecting France and England, and, um, and it was right in the middle. And so there were passengers stranded for six hours. It was kind of a big deal. Mm. But wow. I was like, oh, there's, there's a Mercury. Uh, Mercury and Virgo should be working great opposite Neptune. Um, I was like, there it is, right? <laughs> and literally under the sea, right? We've got the Neptune part. And it wasn't clear from what I understand of the story. It wasn't clear what was happening. Like they were kind of trying to fix the train for a few hours and then they were like, fuck it. And then everybody was led through a series of service tunnels, uh, which to them were, was just uh, a, a number of the, the people who participated in this event were like, Oh, you know, it was like this terrifying underworld. We didn't know where we were going. And, you know, like the, the uncertainty and confusion. The of, psychopomp. Of, yeah, they're like, am I going to meet uh, the judges of the dead? Is it my time? <laughs> right. Gosh, yeah. it's so literal. Yeah. Um, and just that Mercury uh, in Virgo wanting to be very clear, wanting to be very um, factual and like grounded in reality and in the facts. And it just is such a hard opposition from Neptune uh, because Neptune in Pisces opposing that is just the opposite. Like it does not want to be encumbered by facts. Reality is subjective. Truth is subjective. Um, you know, there's so many different ways in which Neptune uh, almost like like defeats or just completely clouds things so much by opposing Mercury that it's hard to for Mercury even to function. And yeah, it sabotages. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mercury likes clean distinctions. Right. You know, Neptune's like, tell me a story. Yeah. And Mercury and Virgo is like, well, I woke up at 7.30 and then I brushed my teeth. And Neptune's like, that's fucking boring. Right. It was right. Like, did, you, yeah. did you wake up or actually are you still dreaming? Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Are you, yeah. So are, are we are, in a holographic universe? Yeah. Are you <laughs> actually plugged you into a, the matrix? Yeah. Are you right. a man who dreamt of being a butterfly or are you a butterfly now dreaming of being a man? Are you right. Chuang Tzu? Yeah. Yeah, I think Neptune is just transcendence. Like if if the Mer- Mercury and Virgo facts are inconvenient to the chosen reality, you know, a lot of people want to choose their vibration or choose their reality. That's Neptune land for you. And so, yeah, but it's interesting because these this opposition is going to also be very defining for us again at the end of September when Mercury stations within one degree of Neptune. So they don't come they don't come into an exact opposition, but similar to what we saw earlier this year when Mercury stationed in that, was it a conjunction with Pluto? Um, I can't remember now, but there was just like this Mercury-Pluto aspect at the beginning of the year for two weeks. We're going to see that similar thing here, Mercury sort of holding this opposition with Neptune for two weeks. So if we thought that was rough with a lot of people were reporting that it felt like Mercury retrograde, 
like mm-hmm. technology just misfiring, right. taking forever. I had a lot of issues with Zoom that week. Uh, so yeah, get ready because at the end of the month here and in the beginning of October, we'll be in for it again. Yeah, I'm really excited to be flying cross country at that time. Ooh, where are you going? I'm going to my cousin's wedding, um, but it's going to be a small regional airport where I live to a hub and then probably two different connecting flights. And then from the like, you know, third or fourth location to a tiny hub in uh, Northern Virginia and then drive an hour. (laughs) It's probably going to be like 17 hours if everything goes right. Okay. So Good luck. That reminds me, there was this funny Reddit post recently of this person that was invited to a friend's wedding, but the requirement was that the wedding was going to be uh, done, spoken entirely in High Valyrian from like Game, Game of Thrones, because <laughs> the two people getting married were like huge Game of Thrones fans or like nerds. And so they were going to speak in the fictional language of Game of Thrones, of like the the you know, one of the family dynasties or people in that world and that all of the guests were like required to learn the language a little bit as well. So just imagine like attending a wedding and it's entirely being conducted in a language that you like don't speak. That's actually like a fantasy language that somebody made up like 20 or 30 years ago. That's going to be Mercury retrograde, like opposite Neptune towards the end of, of September. That's hilarious. Everybody yeah. going to wear silver wigs. Yeah, right. Silver wigs and carry like dragon eggs. Yeah, and put purple yeah. contacts in. Yeah, like uh, you go and your wedding gift is just like three dragon eggs to the newlywed couple. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that well, has, God bless it. Yeah. Would you learn High Valyrian in order to attend a, a casual friend's wedding? It depended. It would depend entirely on our relationship. Okay. So you, <laughs> wait, would you do that for me? I would do that for you. Okay. Yeah. I Yeah, I think I would do that for you. I attended your wedding. You didn't make me learn High Valyrian or like... <laughs> Klingon or like high elvish or anything like that, but no, I mean, we wrote our own service and vows, but in the inhuman languages, right? Okay, I appreciate that. I liked being able to follow it, so yeah, that's a good you know, visual for like Mercury stationing retrograde in Libra and re- retrograding back into Virgo opposite to Neptune. Is imagine attending a wedding like that. It's funny, right? Because it's going to this whole Mercury and Virgo or Mercury and Libra thing is like, oh, let's we're disputing. We're disputing. Let's get well, let's go back to the facts. And then we just going back to this Mercury opposition Neptune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's again, it's like, ah, oh, like I, I don't I don't love I don't love that. I I like that fun and playful side of Mercury opposite Neptune, mm. like um, the imaginative qualities and that was a really great example, by the way, because the Mercury and Virgo part is learning the language. The language, yeah. And then Neptune is is the fantasy. Um, one of the things I like to surrender into with Mercury and Virgo opposite Neptune is we're not going to know everything. We're mm. not going to be able to plan for every answer. Because Mercury and Virgo is a planner. They, they have a backup plan. They have multiple backup plans for every little variable that could tick. And... So with Neptune, that's just basically the variable that's saying you can't know it all. You can't plan for it all. So just go with it. Yeah, for sure. Trust the process. Yeah, I love that. Um, All right. So and when it's also a contradiction, because usually when Mercury's stationing direct, like it's going to do towards the end of September, that's when things start getting clarified Mm -hmm. and things start moving forward again and previous confusion or... Um, obstacles that arose are usually rectified by that point. 
but having it stationed in opposition to Neptune is like returning back to something that's confusing, having to revisit it a second time and it not necessarily being any less confusing, but maybe the fact that it's like the second time you've seen it, you're kind of anticipating it and you're kind of a little bit more prepared to deal with the confusion and the lack of certainty than you were the first time. Or you get clear that like, oh, like we don't know what's going on. Yeah, that, that, yeah. I think that's really it. I think you got it where it's like, you're like, oh, okay, we're not going to like this is this is as much clarity as we're going to get, but we need to start moving forward. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to sit at this wedding. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just going <laughs> to enjoy it and eat some hors d'oeuvres and ride this ride this out. Yeah. 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 And so it's interesting. I don't know if we want to deal. We should probably deal with this now. The um, part of that direct station is that there's a Mercury that Venus is actually conjunct Mercury um, in the days leading up to the direct station. So the when Mercury goes back into Virgo, it's not Mercury alone. Um, yeah. It's Mercury with Venus, and they actually conjoin opposite Neptune. Let's talk about that because that nicely mm-hmm. brings us to our first ingress of the month, okay, which is cool. Venus ingresses. In, it moves into the sign of Virgo on the 5th of September. So Venus moves into that sign, and let me put that up on the actual chart on the screen here. There we go. Moving out of Leo and into the sign of Virgo. So Venus is going to spend pretty much the entirety, most of September. It kind of zooms through Virgo um, because it's getting so close to the sun and is at the in the middle essentially of that synodic cycle with the sun this month. And Venus does eventually get to Libra at the very, very end of September, but it basically spends the entire month moving through the sign of Virgo. So that's going to lead to a few interesting hard aspects during the course of the month. It's going to square um, Mars here, it looks like, around the middle of the month, around September 15th. So Venus and Virgo square Mars uh, in Gemini from 13 Virgo to 13 Gemini. And then later in the month, um, Venus is going to oppose Neptune from 23 Virgo into 23 uh, Pisces around September 23rd or so. Mm-hmm. So Venus opposite Neptune, we were talking about that a little bit last night as a signature. Uh, you were saying, Catherine, that can be a good good time uh, transit, at least for like a weekend or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That Mercury Neptune aspects are typically like, it's like a love potion. Venus Neptune. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Venus Neptune is like a love potion. And in a hard aspect, it can be often a situation where you're seeing things for what you want to see sometimes. Mm, right. So, so like falling in love with falling in love in some ways. Yes. Will, having a willingness to overlook what we might call red flag. Right. Yeah, you have um, uh, you have a, how should we say, a confluence between uh, Venus and Neptune um, that you don't have between Mercury and Neptune. The, you know, there's there's really, um, as I say, a deep contradiction between what Mercury and Neptune are trying to achieve and the methods by which they do that. Whereas Venus, you know, um, if we're looking at Venus as having a nice time connecting with people, the dissolution of distinctions or boundaries that Neptune brings um, can work with that. Right. Mm. Um, up to a point. The difference mm. is that Neptune has literally no boundaries, whereas, you know, Venus would like, you know, Venus is, would like to be open up to a point. 
right? You know, uh, Venus isn't um, uh, isn't self-sacrificing uh, to an extreme like Neptune. Like Neptune has like there's no limits, right? You talk about um, sort of romantic ideas of love. Um, with like complete annihilation or sacrifice of the self or the ego, that's Neptune land, mm -hmm. right? Any in real relationships with people, you have to set boundaries and, um, you know, you do nice things for each other and you're open to a certain degree, but it's not um, just open. And so some Neptune is nice for Venus, but there's always a point where um, Venus needs uh, Venus needs to stop to have it be a work working equitable relationship. Mm -hmm. Whereas Neptune is like, no, let's do the let's do the full myth version. Yeah, maybe mm -hmm. that's because maybe they get along relatively well because, uh, like you said, Neptune is that blurring of boundaries, and Venus is like the uniting sometimes of two people or the bringing together of two things, which in order to bring two people together, two parties, there has to be a little bit of disillusion of, of boundaries between them. Yeah, Absolutely. So here, yeah, so here's an image. Um, so Venus says, okay, what if we ordered one milkshake and then shared it with two straws? Oh, and then Neptune gets really excited and doesn't recognize the boundaries of physical existence. Neptune's like, it would be so romantic if we both put ourselves in blenders and then we were poured into the same <laughs> cup and then, and then God drank us with one straw, right? It's like, yeah. okay, as an image writer is a funny thing to say, but like, eh, uh, let's just do the milkshake. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. there's definitely like a um, more of a willingness or desire to merge with another person and you know because this will be a relatively quick opposition i think it can be lovely for just opening us up you know especially yeah i mean we all have our we all have our things right we all have our boundary things and this can this can open us in ways that um we might otherwise be reluctant to and sometimes that can be a great thing yeah, I think as long I think temper I think honestly I like this aspect as a transit um way more than I like it natally. I think it's harder to make those distinctions if you have Venus Neptune natally. Um people with that really struggle with like what's the appropriate level of openness and differentiating between the like this works in real relationship whereas this is inspiring and romantic and makes me feel but doesn't really work. But as a like, eh, you know, it's a, it's active for a week. Mm -hmm. Like it can be nice. Um, and I would also say, with Venus Neptune, um, you know, Neptune Neptune provides the ability to kind of check out of reality. Mm -hmm. um, and like it, at Venus, like a pleasant checking out mm -hmm. is nice. That can absolutely contribute to um, mental health and you know endurance. Is you're like you know having having something fun, a way to just check out for a little while and de-stress, um, as long as you plan on coming back. Right. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea for this aspect of music and dancing and like some wine or whatever it might be that helps you just sort of go to a more elevated or magical state that you don't always regularly make the time to do. Like you might stay up a little bit later because you get lost in the moment type thing. Mm, right. But another layer here, and this touches on Venus and Virgo, is that seeing this aspect along the Virgo Pisces aspect, we, we or axis rather, we see this theme of idealization. So, Venus in Virgo is a bit of a perfectionist. She has an eye for detail. She has a very specific criteria of what she's looking for. Right. And Neptune is that illusion of, oh my gosh, this is it. 
Yeah. Sometimes like Venus and Virgo can be more critical in focusing on the details. And sometimes like that little tiny minute thing being something that throws everything off uh, or something being out of place or even like a minor character defect about a person being unable to overlook it or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's the, that's the, the fall part of Venus and Virgo. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I usually, uh, part of the way I've, I've taken to teaching fall in classes is that the sign in which a planet um, is fallen, it has like a special banana peel uh, just for that planet in there. It's like one little piece of kryptonite um, that, you know, it's not a problem for most of the planets when they pass through that sign, but it's like the one thing um, that that ruins the planet's game. And with with Venus and Virgo, right? Because it's uh, the, the fall, like the, you know, Venus is in triplicity dignity, um, in Virgo and has, um, uh, has decanic dignity and a lot of it, like there's, it's not just like non-functional, um, but there's, you know, there's a trick. There's like a little banana peel to make Venus fall. And that's the getting caught on the one thing that's wrong and then not being able to appreciate the rest. Yeah. And that's oftentimes, especially as like a natal aspect, something that somebody can struggle with early on or, or can be a weakness or a sore spot. But eventually some people are able to turn that into a strength um, Venus and Virgo reminds me of like an interior decorator, interior design, like somebody that's really good at focusing on the minute details or even critiquing. Like I saw a YouTube video recently of of an interior decorator where he was critiquing current design trends and talking about like the top five design trends that are not going to age well over the next like 10 or 20 years or what have you and focusing in on those things um, that make sense in the moment as trends, but pointing out the flaws in those things from an aesthetic standpoint that may not stand the, the test of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This reminds me of precision haircutting. I'm a former hairstylist and there are some hairstylists that will do like a two hour haircut mm. and it's like immaculate. There's this one, shoot, I'm trying to think of her name. She is like the main person for Gosh, I'm trying to think of her name, Vogue, but she gets her hair cut. Like she has someone come over every day and work mm. on her bob. Okay. Maybe someone knows her name, who I'm talking about. But yeah, someone who gets their hair cut every day. So just a little bit about, so we've got, you know, almost an entire month of Venus and Virgo. Right. And so the, the Venus's aspects to the different planets are kind of emphasize some of these qualities. And so the period of time where Venus is square Mars in Gemini is absolutely going to emphasize the critical can't let go of the negative, can't enjoy the thing, mm. right? The, um, the flood. Yeah. The what? Oh, sorry. Someone in the chat said Anna Wintour. Oh, That's okay. what I'm talking about. the stylist you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the, yeah. the celebrity, rather. Oh, it was the celebrity who gets the haircut every day? Yes. Nice. Okay. But yeah, that um, that Mars Venus is going to be very critical. Mars and Gemini is very critical um, in and of itself, and so that's so that that, that aspect is September fifteenth. Yeah, and it's going to be building for a while. Like they're going to be within orb for a while, um, and then once Venus clears Mars and starts um, applying to Neptune, then we're going to get you know, in, in some ways, the Neptune, uh, the Neptune in Pisces is a nice. If perhaps uh, overdosed um, curative for the Venus and Virgo issues, 
Um, because it's like, don't worry about that. It's Neptune, right? And it's Neptune from Pisces, which is the sign of Venus's exaltation, where Venus is very good at letting go the small stuff to enjoy the rest. Um, but yeah, the, I would say the first part, first half of Venus and Virgo, much more critical. Second half, much more Neptune. Yeah, because in this instance with Mars and Virgo, or sorry, Mars in Gemini, it's actually in the superior position overcoming Venus. So Venus already has that critical quality um, in Virgo, but then Mars is adding to that by creating a more aggressive or cutting sort of energy to Venus that can be, you know, sometimes that aspect can be good, that kind of tension between sort of polar opposites can create um, something that's really productive when it's balanced. But in this instance, because Mars is in the superior position, uh, it's kind of getting the upper hand in a little bit, bit and, and there might be more of a tendency to um, be divisive or be cutting, um, especially verbally, with both of them being in Mercury-ruled signs uh, around that point. Yeah, and being ruled by Mercury retrograde, too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Venus in a square to Mars, that can certainly come up as a little bit of relational friction. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm thinking a lot about Venus in Virgo and her being in her fall, but also holding triplicity there. I think one of the things that often gets overlooked in relationships is the acts of service. I think Venus and Virgo is totally acts of service. And there are articles on the internet about how many relationships end over dirty dishes. Mm. Like it just builds up over time because it, yeah, it's like basically a sign of respect too. So I think that that's one of the sort of overlooked um, sides of Venus and Virgo is the helpfulness. And I love so, that. So it's like, people have different love languages as part of it that comes from and like acts of service is like one of the love some people's love language. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People with Venus and earth signs, they like to do things for other people. Mm. But yeah, I'm just thinking if we're looking at this Venus Mars square and what might be coming up in terms of disagreements, mm -hmm. it might be something. Yeah. Venus, that critical side of Venus and Virgo saying, you know, you're not helping me or you're not doing this or yeah, but there's certainly that challenging side of, of Venus and Virgo, too, where, yeah, sometimes she can just focus too much on the imperfection. And look, we're all human. Like, we all have flaws. And Venus, that can be the thing to look out for is honing in on that a little too much. So, mm. yeah, I think it'll just it's always um, a question of the varying degrees of that, I guess. Yeah. And, and also in terms of varying degrees, I mean, Venus, Mars aspects, like hard aspects can sometimes be kind of like a, like a sexy aspect in terms yeah. of the tension there. But sometimes when Mars is one in upper, upper hand, there's always that interplay between Mars and Venus between like pursuit versus what's the opposite of pursuit, like being pursued or like being receptive, being receptive. And yeah. sometimes Mars then in the upper hand, there can be a uh, imbalance of, of if the pursuit function in uh in exchange is overwhelming or is like too dominant um it can throw off the the correct mixture of things coming in too strong yeah, yeah coming on too strong um and also you know just thinking of mars on an elemental level um you know adding heat mm -hmm. right and you know and people usually use heat metaphors for 
passionate relationships, right? <clears throat> and people, you know, people want things hot, but they don't want things um, scorching where they're getting blisters and, um, you know, having to go to the hospital for burn treatment. Like, you know, you want things steamy. It's like, a like uh, I would say the right amount of, of Mars with Venus is like, how hot would you like your relaxing bath, mm. right? You would mm -hmm. like it warm, hot, or the hot tub, but you don't want like, you know, literally boiling water. Right. And so too much Mars is like, this isn't steamy. This is, um, <laughs> you know, this is literally boiling. This is like a reactor core. Right. Or you guys were talking about the chicken wings recently on a recent episode. Oh, yeah. How hot, hot would you like your chicken wing? Hot ones. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if you eat like uh, the bomb hot sauce or like the, the hottest hot sauce and there's like too many scovilles and your mouth is just burning and it stops being like a pleasant experience. Yeah. Right. Right. Whereas a certain amount of heat um, makes the like the aesthetic experience of food better. Yeah. Yes. Like, like cracked pepper on like a dish and that like heats it up a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You need some spice. So in this instance, in the middle of September, it's like you're peppering your dish and then the cap falls off and all of a sudden you've got like a whole uh, pile of pepper in the middle of your dish. The worst. Or, yeah, or if you're at a restaurant and they're, you know, you got a Caesar and they come around, they're like, would you like pepper? You're like, sure. And then, you know, they say, just tell me when to stop. And they're grinding and you're like, stop. Yeah. And they just ignore you. Yeah. And you're like, please stop. And they just look at you and quietly say, fuck you. And just keep grinding. <laughs> yeah. That's Mars going through uh, early Gemini at this point, or middle of Gemini at this point. And they might also like dump some hot sauce on top of it at the same time. You're like, I, I didn't order this. Trickster energy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So why don't we transition into talking about our first lunation of the month? Um, which is a full moon in the sign of Pisces, which takes place on September 10th. So this is a full moon that takes place at 17 degrees of Pisces. Uh, looks like September, early September 10th here in Denver. Um, so I see the moon at 17 Pisces. It's coming off of that square with Mars at 11 degrees of Gemini and uh, coming off of the opposition with Venus at six Virgo, and moving into uh, a close, pretty close conjunction with Neptune at twenty-four degrees of Pisces, so um, it's activating that whole axis of planets that we've been talking about most of this episode up to this point. Yeah, I mean Jupiter rules this full moon and is still in that opposition with Mercury that we've been discussing. So we might expect to see another sort of peak point of highlight in that story that's developing for us. Mm, right. Yeah. It's interesting how much Neptune and just the mutable signs are being emphasized so much this month. Obviously we always have a, a new moon and a full moon um, in Virgo and Pisces around this time, but um, we're just getting so much action with the mutable signs at this point. And, um, you know, this is a little bit of a preview or activating a sign that's going to become much more of the focus next year in 2023 when Saturn ingresses into Pisces, I believe in March, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's the day after my birthday. Okay. So, um, yeah, having the emphasis, emphasis with Neptune, um, we're sort of laying the groundwork or, or paving the ground for that upcoming Saturn ingress not too long here, starting with the Mars retrograde in Gemini. So it's like the mutable signs 
are getting some some churning and some being pulled in different directions of like hot and cold and different extremes at this point, um, both in the short term with the Mars retrograde and then leading into the long two or three year Saturn transit through Pisces. Yeah, and we have two months of Jupiter and Pisces this fall or this fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, Jupiter's headed back. So yeah, the, the return of um, mutable emphasis is coming to a sky near you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is so the I generally like the full moon in Pisces because um, so all the full moons place the moon in the sign opposite the sun. Right. And so whatever the monthly focus is, the, the full moon counterpoints that. Mm-hmm. And there's a certain dryness and factuality to the sun's time in Virgo, which, while useful, um can get tedious. And so the full moon in Pisces is usually at least an attempt to kind of, um, I don't know, uh, make things a little juicy, more imaginative, more, um, yeah, more, um, I'll stick with imaginative, a little bit more like open and bigger, um, you know, like the meaning of life is not, is not found in the facts, but encloses the facts. Mm. Um, and the moon's, um, pretty close, can close enough configuration to Neptune. It's, uh, it's about seven degrees away, but it's moving towards Neptune, right? There's the moon at the point of maximum fullness. And the next thing it does is conjoin Neptune. Um, and I just noticed that during this full moon, um, uh, Neptune and Jupiter will have a by the minute, uh, antitial, actually a contra antitial, uh, relationship. Wow. Um, so yeah, like not usually with antitia you want within a couple degrees, you don't want to spam it, but this is within the minute. It's exact. And so that's actually, uh, I wish I noticed that earlier that, uh, that's going to soften some of the Jupiter and Aries hardlineness uh, for some of the month that we talked about. And then that's also going to, um, it's going to make, uh, I don't know, that's going to give Neptune some extra energy and like, you know, grand vision or, you know, expansive Jupiterian, um, how should we say positivity, or at least like, yeah, like this could be real. This, this could happen. We could do this. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's like a little bit of a throwback to the energy we had in April when we mm-hmm. had the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction mm-hmm. in Pisces near this degree where Neptune still sits. But yeah, this definitely feels very magical, very hopeful, and very soulful. That's the energy. Mm-hmm. That's the a word I really love with Pisces moon, especially is just like the soulful energy. Um, but yeah, that and Tisha is really something. It's, yeah, it's really tight. <laughs> mm. um, and it's worth noting that Mars, as Chris mentioned earlier, like the there is a square from Mars. Mars is at 11 and the sun and moon are at 17. And so six degrees is still in effect, but both are moving away from Mars. Mm. And so there is like, especially like the day before, like there's going to be some irritation. But when the actual full moon hits there'll be some dissolution of that irritation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, oh. Go ahead. I like the idea of perspective with this lunation mm-hmm. too, just because full moons are really great for bringing things to light, um, showing us something in like fullness. And so when we get this relationship between Neptune and Jupiter here, there's something about big picture and 
yeah, like this compassionate energy, as Austin said, softening some of that sharpness of Jupiter in Aries, bringing that back into this Pisces, just all-encompassing capacity for love and understanding. So there's something about big picture perspective and leaving space for the human experience here. Yeah. This reminds me, uh, Lisa Scheim was pointing out something, which is, you know, due to the co-presences and the change of sign with Jupiter, we've kind of like gotten away from talking about that Jupiter-Neptune conjunction. But if you look at it by degree, it's still within 10 or 15 degrees. And if you're using like a larger like Tarnesian Tarnus type orbs where he uses like 10 to 15 degrees for conjunctions. We've really just had this long extended Jupiter-Neptune conjunction all year, even though they've been in different signs. And you talking about the antitial relationship, Austin is just reminding me and maybe emphasizing that further because they have that same range of degrees from the um, zero degrees Aries point. Yeah. Well, and Jupiter's headed back, right? Jupiter is going to be back in Pisces and in the same sign in the same decan within like five degrees for a lot of the um, uh, the fourth quarter months. Yeah, mm-hmm. for unfinished business. And I've been thinking about that recently because this year, over the past several months, one of the things that's become really popular on social media is those computer-generated images. Um, I forget what it's called. It's called like Dolly or something like that, the program name, where you can tell it um, two concepts or two images from the internet and tell it to merge those. And it'll take those two separate images and then like it'll spit out like 10 different options of its best attempt to like merge those two concepts into a single image. And it's actually really surprising how good of a job it does sometimes of creating something that looks real or creating something out of two concepts that have been blended together. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen that? The, mer- the merging, okay. the artistic merging of AI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to create something uh, like a new, almost like work of art that's aesthetically or visually appealing, just purely being generated by a computer. It's kind of striking, but that's that's one of the Jupiter and Neptune things I've seen this year that's really st- struck with me or stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think another one that we were talking about is the online scams and the impersonation accounts. I think that has so much to do with Jupiter, Neptune, and Pisces. Right. So, yeah, we're not done with that. We're not done with that theme, folks. Yeah, the the impersonators and also oftentimes they're reaching out to people on like Instagram. I just had another one the other day and they're pretending to be somebody but also pretending to offer like insight or consultations or like spiritual wisdom or what have you and asking for money in return. And so they're trying to like scam people using something that looks quasi mystical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the really flowery language too. Yeah. Beloved and all sorts of things. That was was the one like thing that you should raise some eyebrows. If I reach out to you by DM and I'm calling you like beloved and saying all like, uh, you know, tell you. Grand rising beloved. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like another layer that inserts itself here with this full moon is the overwhelming quality that we can sometimes get with Neptune and especially mm-hmm. with it being ruled by Jupiter. Well, Jupiter is opposite a stationary Mercury. So there's there's definitely some questions that might be coming in here. Mm. Yeah. And um Something that both of you said that made me think recently about how this full moon conjunct Neptune and the sort of 
blurriness to it or the fantasy element to it being opposite to the new moon that we just experienced in Virgo. Um, it reminded me when I was talking about, you know, looking at that, that watching that video about that internal, that fashion or internal decorator that was talking about fashion trends. He kept emphasizing how some trends if just wouldn't age well because they would go out of style and there would always there would be a counter movement against many of them in like a few years or five or ten years where there's things that start that are new that are fashionable for a period of time but that there's always some sort of counter trend eventually once something becomes too trendy or becomes too common and it makes me think of the notion of oppositions and how you have like a new moon that starts something like this virgo one which is very grounded and you know very earthy but then two weeks later we get this full moon conjunct neptune which is just the opposite and is pulling things in a, in a counter direction mm-hmm I mean, it also just, you know, as far as this full moon, it also seems like a great time to, um, I don't know, take a load off, like um, detach from worldly affairs, Mm. um, you know, and just hang out for the weekend or a night or two. Um, Just let, you know, let go, like get drunk that night with friends or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love you, man. It's happening pretty much simultaneously as Mercury stationing retrogrades. So it might be like going back and revisiting some things from the past, um, catching up with old friends, and um, yeah, maybe having some sort of creative or internal pursuit that's productive, um, you know, in terms of uh, exploring more internal or artistic realms. Yeah. I wouldn't try to push on it too hard towards productivity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Mercury stationing. It's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Eh. Well, you know, we'll figure that out in a few days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that is our first lunation of the month right there on September 10th. Yeah. And I think here's a good point to highlight that at this point, now that Mercury's retrograde, we have six planets that are retrograde, mm, right. which is unusual. Yeah, that is really unusual to have that many retrograde all at the same time, all of them moving backwards and going back and revisiting degrees from earlier in the zodiac that they've already traversed. So Mm -hmm. there's some notion of returning back to something, to revisiting something, to looking back or putting your eyes towards the past rather than the future. Yeah, or continuing to marinate on current issues. Mm. Like as we were talking about... uh, you know, current events for this episode, we were like, yeah, it's it's a lot of the same stuff. So that mm. seems to speak to this energy of having a lot of planets retrograde. We're doing a lot of revisiting or just sort of ruminating on stuff that is already on the table. Yeah, yeah. to dwell in the present. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, and uh, what we were talking about earlier is how there are a lot of things that certainly have something to say about the future but the trajectories are very uncertain mm. it's like that means something that'll that'll be part of a, a story that gets finished later but i don't know which part it is um and that that like uncertain trajectories thing is literally what's going on with retrograde planets like where they're heading now is not where they're actually going in the future right they're they're going backwards but then they're going to go forwards again Um, But you can't, if you, you know, and when you're looking at events, if you're like, ah, well, if this trend continues, then we'll be here in two years. But none of what the planets are doing now are indicative of where they will be in two years. Yeah, you can't project things out too far into the future when you know that they're going to do a U-turn here pretty soon. Yeah, and so that's what you can project. 
Yeah. And what's interesting, and I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but yeah, like we're going to be getting all new (sighs) themes coming up in early 2023. And I was just looking to see when all the planets will be moving direct next. And it's right after Mars stations direct. You get all the planets moving direct until April when Mercury stations retrograde. So all new themes being ushered in at that time with... Yeah, Saturn moving into Pisces, Pluto moving into Aquarius. Yeah, lots of big changes. Yeah. So Mars stations direct uh, January 12th. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but for now, this is it. <laughs> right. So that brings up um, Uranus actually just stationed here in the past couple of days, I think like a day or two ago, stationed retrograde in Taurus. Mm-hmm. And it's going to retrograde back. Uh, do you guys know how far back it gets in terms of degrees? No, yes. but I can find out. Let me see here. Yeah, it stations direct at 14 degrees, mm-hmm. 56 minutes on January 22nd, 2023. Okay. So this is as far as Uranus is going to get in this round forward um, up to the degree it's at now, which is like 18 Taurus, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and then it's going to retrograde all the way back to 14. And we see it stationing there around 14 degrees of Taurus. So some of the quality then of all these retrogrades going on right now are just going as far as you can go with certain new developments before you have to go back. And I was talking to somebody about this recently um, about a situation that they were going through that I thought was really appropriate archetypally for just the nature of retrogrades in general, which is that they um, they were a person like in their 20s, like a young professional, and they'd you know moved out years ago and they were um, living in a different state from when they grew up and like pursuing career and other personal goals and stuff. But then they ran into an obstacle um, and they had to move back home, like back to their home state and like back in with their parents. Um, which is, you know, I think an experience that different people have at different points where sometimes you have to like go back to where you started and you have to go back to the past in order to move forward again. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes that's like, okay, and everybody goes through that process at different points. And even though sometimes it feels like you're, um, you're walking backwards or you're going back and doing something you already did. And there's like a reluctance or, or hesitance or almost a feeling sometimes of like, does this mean I'm like a failure if I have to go back you know, to where I started, um, that's not really the case. It's just sometimes part of the process of retrograde planets is sometimes having to move backwards for a period of time because it's never permanent. The retrograde is never permanent. It's just like a, a, a slice of time until eventually you can start moving forward again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think of when you get um, when you lose your keys or something, and you're like, okay, and you have to retrace your steps. Right. Like, okay, so I was in the bathroom. Let me check the bathroom. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Or like, oh, did I leave it at the restaurant? But, you know, you have to like literally go backwards and check everywhere that you were before until you find the thing and then you can move forward again. Right. Or it's like the experience if you go back and reread one of your favorite astrology books like a few years later Mm. and you have like a different perspective. So the material in the book might speak to you a little bit differently and you might also internalize it and remember more elements of the book. Yeah, going backwards is not always a setback. Sometimes it's an asset because you get to to do things over. You get to reconfigure 
and you get to sort of, um, yeah, like do something differently. Sometimes we want a do-over in life. We right. would have done something differently. So the retrogrades are that option too. Yeah. And sometimes that's a blessing because the, usually the second or the third time you've done something, because you've had that first experience, you usually do it better the second time than you did the first time around. Yeah. So there can be, although there can be a frustrating component of having to go back and do something you already did, usually um, you end up doing it way better and there's like progress and growth as, as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good thing to keep in mind. I think with all of these retrogrades, both with, you know, the Saturn retrograde that's happening right now in Aquarius and the people that are experiencing Saturn retreading some steps from earlier this year in terms of its degrees, in terms of the Mercury retrograde from Virgo, from Libra into Virgo, and also in terms of the upcoming Mars retrograde that we're just building up to now. All right, so um, that is the retrogrades. And then moving into the later part of the month, we have that sun ingress into Libra on the 22nd. We have the sun Mercury Kazemi, which as I said, was the halfway point in the Mercury retrograde cycle on the 23rd and Mercury retrogrades back into Virgo the same day. And then we get to our second lunation of the month, which is a new moon in Libra on the 25th of September. It, which is uh, also opposed that Jupiter, um, and in that, do I wake sleeping dogs, or what do I do with the sleeping dogs now that they're awake? Um, between the um, Mercury Kazemi at uh, in the first agon of Libra, and the Mercury stationing in the first degree of Libra, and the new moon in the first degree of Libra, all of these opposing Jupiter, that um, diplomatic you know, putting different things on different on on the uh, on the two sides of the scales, trying to get things to balance. It really does seem like that's a, a that that that's that's a theme that runs throughout the month um, in its different configurations. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you wonder what that's going to look like. Definitely, yeah, and because we're working with this opposition between. Aries and Libra, sometimes we're going to see an oscillation between which side is showing up in terms of our dominant expression or what we're experiencing in that relationship. Because often oppositions will show up in relationships, but it's here at the Libra new moon that we may see a definite emphasis on the Libra qualities of harmonization and trying to understand where someone else is coming from or trying to create beauty, trying to sort of conceptualize something that is balanced and aesthetically pleasing for others. Mm. Trying to bring into cohesion. Yeah, I like that. That's really good keywords for sun and moon conjunction opposite to Jupiter. Mm-hmm. Um, so needing to create balance versus when to when to go it alone and i like that term oscillation because oppositions often do do like teetotter like back and forth between you know trying to seek balance but sometimes being unbalanced uh, during the process initially as a result yeah a very libran thing is that it's almost never balanced Mm. but it's the goal well to go back to the scale right if you have a mechanical scale um, and you're in the middle of life, right? The, the scales don't stay it, it, their life is always putting, um, putting something on one side of the scale or another. So even if you can get it to balance for a second, 
tomorrow we'll put something else on one side. And then you're like, okay, well, how do I, how do I keep it in balance by adding this? Um, and outside of a sort of social relational interpretation of the Venus Libra or of the Libra Aries stuff, there's also like, uh, there's also the, the balance between trying to live a life of perfect balance versus Jupiter and Aries, like trying to kick some ass, like trying to get things done. Right. Um, and you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to do all this. And then, then you're out of balance or you're, or you're like, I'm just going to be in perfect balance. And you're like, oh, I'm in perfect balance and not really getting what I need to get done. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, my, <laughs> uh, my cortisol levels are down and all that. There's like a balance between seeking balance and, you know, uh, answering the call. Yes. Answering the call. That's such a good one for Aries. I'll, I'll give that to Kate. Kate says that a lot and Kate has Mars and Aries. Um, awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. Answering the call, rising to the occasion, yeah. running full speed, taking the chance. Yeah, there might be something where we have to be brave. You know, Jupiter and Aries, we're, that's something we're working with for a little while here. Mm -hmm. So that gets a definite shout out with this lunation. And here again, we're seeing an emphasis on this Jupiter-Neptune theme mm -hmm. because Venus is ruling this new moon and she's in that opposition with Neptune. Mm -hmm. So we get this like expansive principle here again. Right. Yeah, Venus is very close at this point to that opposition with Neptune. Uh, Venus is at 25 degrees of Virgo, opposing Neptune at 23 Virgo at the time of the new moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe like a willingness to make a sacrifice, to go the distance in order to keep the peace or to reach um, a definite state of equilibrium. Mm, okay. Yeah, and... Uh, Mercury is also there by this point at 27 degrees of Virgo opposite Neptune and not too super far from, from stationing at this point, only six days away from stationing direct opposite to Neptune. So themes of, um, you know, not necessarily being clear, but sometimes like following uh, one's internal, almost like intuition in some sense in terms of feeling out the correct path forward or feeling out the facts, even if the facts themselves are not all entirely clear. Mm -hmm. um, both sort of intellectually as well as emotionally or relationally as the case may be with Venus. Yeah. And this is a little bit of a contrast as what we were saying with at the beginning of the episode with Mars and Gemini and having sort of more of a sharp tongue. Mm -hmm. right. Here now we start to see Mercury zooming in on Venus. So these two are mutually applying here at the new moon. We're going to see that conjunction coming up. And so this is this is the opposite. These are sweet words. Yeah, it is a soft quality. Yeah, and in the sign of Virgo, there's like a desire to help or to remedy or to solve. Yeah, there's definitely I, I get a um, an overwhelming sort of sense of calibration for this new moon. Like there's a lot of like there's not only the calibration of the scales implied by it being in Libra, but then we have reconciling that with the opposition with Jupiter, and then we have these. We have the planet that rules the lunation, Venus, in in Virgo, conjunct calculating Mercury. Mercury has an almost perfect antitia to the, or contra-antitia to the new moon. Like, there's a lot of, like, fine-tuning and calibration to kind of get this get this equation to to work or to balance or like okay so this is how i'm going to move forward mercury isn't quite moving forward but it's basically done retrograding it's got like a degree or two but like this is going to kind of set 
how we're going to be for you know the next several weeks out uh, into October. And it it really brings together a lot of the um, uh, the sort of uh, lines of thought and uh, you know trains of events that are that, that have characterized September up to this point. Mm. Yeah, um, something I know that we we wanted to mention, we meant to mention, especially as we get to the later part of this month, is just how close the Saturn Uranus square is again at this point, um, because here showing the graph to the those watching the video version of this, the graph from Archetypal Explorer that just shows the closeness where the two planets this year got the furthest away from each other around April and May, the furthest away from that square. But at this point, they've come back to the closest that they're going to get. And even though they don't perfect or complete the aspect at this time, they get about a degree away or within a degree in late September and early October from hitting that square again. So some of those themes that we've talked about in the year ahead forecast, as well as in many of the monthly forecasts over the course of the past year or two of uh, the Saturn Uranus significations and some of some of the like um, loss in some instances of stability or unexpected disruptions in things that we thought were stable or have taken for granted up to now, um, suddenly the foundations of those being shaken and having a question about whether they continue to be structurally sound in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, if you think uh, one way I think about it is with, uh, is, um, like if you're playing Monopoly or chess, right, you have a game board with pieces, the Saturn Uranus just kind of like jiggles the board which may or may not change the pieces, might just knock them over, but it's just um, like that, that jiggling the board, which has happened uh, intensely at a few points during the, this, uh, God, we're a year and a half into Saturn Uranus squares, um, and which certainly happened over the last month. Like that doesn't stop, right? There, there's just like a low level constant jiggling the board, mm. and that will continue uh, really probably through the end of November. Because as Saturn and Uranus start to get some distance, then we'll have eclipses which re-trigger them. And yeah. so it's just, you know, the board's just going to stay jiggling. Yeah, we get that Scorpio eclipse October 5th, and then we get a um, Taurus eclipse on November 8th. So yeah, and Uranus, as we said, just stationed this past week. So that's intensifying Uranus. Saturn is retrograding, is moving back into the square with Uranus and closing the distance between those two. So this is really the last hurrah in terms of that um, destabilization and the tensions or the question of whether the you know game board is going to be flipped entirely in some areas of our life or in terms of some areas of like world events over the, the course of the next few months. Yeah. And that Eclipse in November will really be one to watch because it's in like a partile aspect with with Uranus. Right. So that will be interesting for sure. But yeah, we have seen a lot of change as a result of this. There's also just a lot of rising tension, but we've we have seen change. I mean, the Saturn Uranus square has shifted the way a lot of us work. A lot of people work remotely now, and we've seen a lot of moves towards unionization and yeah, yeah something I've seen in my studies with this cycle is 
uh, revolutions for workers. That's been something that's strongly been associated with this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I suspect we'll continue to see more of that as well as the shifting of resources. And I know we've talked a lot about that here too. Yeah. So the disruptions in the supply chains have been major ones. Um, even going back the very beginning of Saturn Uranus really for me was when Saturn first dipped into mm-hmm. Aquarius in 2020, um, we started seeing you know some of the large-scale protests that were taking place that summer while Saturn was in the early parts of Aquarius. Those were some of the early previews of like some of the Saturn Uranus energy to me and just some of the energy we were all experiencing at that time. Um, but then yeah, there have been uh, you know, disruptions in terms of the supply chain. I know, Austin, you've talked a lot about disruptions in terms of the food chain. Yeah, food and energy, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we're going to see what it looks like for power in Europe once it gets cold, mm. right? Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of the the food disruptions that happened uh, earlier in the year are, are going to start showing more and more, right? And that's our, like, Uranus, Rahu, Saturn, and that lasts for a while. Yeah, yeah. and... Oh, and like with the extreme weather that we've been seeing, that's been coming up a lot lately, too, with Uranus on the North Node in Taurus. I mean, that's been an issue. It's been a bigger issue with Uranus in Taurus. It's been an even bigger issue with Uranus in Taurus on the Node. Um, But that could definitely affect food supply as well. Yeah. And other things we've seen, we've sometimes seen very literal manifestations of the archetype. Like I remember around the time of the first exact Saturn Uranus square about a year ago uh, in Florida, there was like the collapse of that uh, apartment mm-hmm. building that mm-hmm. had like faulty foundations. And there'd been like reports of it for years, but the owners just didn't do anything. And eventually it collapsed and a lot of people died. Um, so that was a very literal manifestation of that, of like the foundations of something being shaky. And then uh, having an unexpected sudden like disruption where where everything just collapses after a sort of like a stress test in some sense. Yeah, uh, back to like the the monopoly board or whatever chessboard. You know, if a piece is like uh, like magnetically connected to the board, or if it's glued down, like then you can jiggle it and it won't move, or it takes a lot more jiggling. Mm-hmm. But if if things are fragile. Right. If they have um, weak foundations, then all it takes is that little stress test and they, they fall apart. Jenga. Yeah. So that <laughs> right, Jen. um, so that we had that last year when Uranus stationed very close to Uranus stationing in Taurus last summer was when the US pulled out of Afghanistan and we just saw the like the complete collapse of the Afghanistan government at that point and the the very um, chaotic uh, really unexpectedly, um, you know, fragile thing that the U.S. and the Afghan government had set up there, just completely collapsing, and then the Taliban moving in and taking over again. Um, so that was, you know, example of that on a large, like, governmental level uh, last year. Um, more recently, earlier this year, one of the more metaphorical examples, yet still somewhat literal, of things. Uh, of the Saturn Uranus was um, the Roe versus Wade decision, and then suddenly something. You know, lots of people in the United States had sort of taken for granted as settled law for the past like forty years in the country was suddenly overnight just like disappears and is uh, all of a sudden like abortion becomes illegal in like a bunch of states. Um, so that was another example of that as well of something just sort of like disappearing almost overnight. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, people talk about pulling the rug out from under you. Yeah, right, like rug pulls of various different types. So the the rugs, you know, watch your rugs. For the night, you know, through through the eclipses, 
Um, like that, you know, we just came out of a period of that where it was intensified by Mars, but now it's intensified because they're because you get Saturn and Uranus are really tight and square, and as soon as that loosens, then it gets re-intensified by the eclipses. So it's really just, you know, it's open season on rugs. Right. Well, and one of the things about that when that stuff happens is suddenly, especially when people have that personal experience of something like that, you realize how in, unstable the foundations of like everything are. So it can sometimes in the immediate aftermath give you a sense of like paranoia of like how many things that I've been just been taking for granted do actually have very unstable foundations or have cracks in it that are just waiting, you know, for that little push in order to fall apart. Um, I know a lot of the fixed sign people, especially after the eclipses, a lot of the fixed sign rising people I saw were going through major like relationship changes or home and living situation changes or career changes or um, first house like self and body changes uh, just with that stuff hitting their angles. So it'd be interesting to see a continuation of that for some people in the last part of that story as Saturn um, starts its final run through the later parts of Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are stable, the things that are fixtures in our lives are the ones that are being put in question and creating unrest. Yeah. Although in some instances, it's like when I talked to some people and some of those changes happened, they sort of said, they acknowledged that it was like, this is something I knew was not stable. Yeah. And I, I was just kind of like kicking the can down the road and like putting it off, even though I knew months ago or like a year ago that this was not going to last but now it was finally time to make that change and it was hugely disruptive and i'm having to start over again and start building a new foundation from scratch but it was something that was necessary in order to live more authentically and in order to live the type of life that i would want which is a very uranus type type statement yeah yeah our fixed planets as we know those of us who have them are usually the most stubborn so yeah, th- like you said, maybe we knew the issue was there and we just like, we're just going to dig our heels and we're going to work with this. This is, we can make this work. And now it's like, oh, okay. Now we have an option to shift that a little bit and it can be liberating. It's like the tower card, mm-hmm. like the, the structure falls, but it creates more pathways of possibility. Yeah, I like that the fixed signs are the most resistant to change out of the three different modalities or quadruplicities. But um, yeah, with Uranus, sometimes uh, a change can become an opportunity to build uh, something new that's more authentic, but also something that can last longer than the previous structure did. And that ultimately should be the main aspiration or the most appealing part of making a change for fixed signs is just that idea of creating something that has a, is more grounded with a better foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the idea that like with Taurus, we want to be comfortable. We want to have our basic needs met mm-hmm. and secure, but sometimes we have to get out of our comfort zone to discover a system that might even be more comfortable. Right. Um, all right. So that is the Saturn Uranus. That's going to be a major thing that'll continue over into October. So we'll have to revisit that and we'll have to see how, Saturn Uranus things start ramping up, especially in the second half of September. Um, finally, one of the last major shifts that takes place at the very tail end of the month, but we've still got to mention it, is Venus moves into Libra. It departs from Virgo and moves into Libra on the 29th of September, and Venus moves uh, into her home sign for for a stretch of, of what, about like three weeks or so? 
So let me put the chart up for that. Yeah, she stays there through October 23rd. Here we go. So Venus ingresses into Libra where she joins the sun and quickly moves into an opposition with Jupiter, um, which is at three degrees of Aries at that point. And it doesn't perfect until October 1st, but um, Venus is applying very headlong into that opposition as soon as she changes signs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the things that I think Venus and Libra will do is whatever Venus will help preserve whatever balances were created by the end of September. We talked, you know, we had all this emphasis on early Libra stuff and figuring out what's fair, what's balanced, what I can live with, what you can live with, like what is what you know, what is a stable or balanced sort of way of going about things. There's all this emphasis on trying to calculate that. Mm -hmm. And so Venus in uh, in Libra, being the, the ruler of Libra, will help preserve some of those, you know, maybe not infinitely, um, but it will help. Um, and But uh, one thing to note about Venus's time in Libra this year is that Venus is very combust. Uh, it's very, Venus is very close to the sun from the, from the get-go. Um, and what that means visually, is you're not going to be able to see Venus in the morning, which you've been able to for, you know, what, six 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 months, more than that, eight months, seven yeah, months? Ever since that, especially that Venus retrograde station in Capricorn earlier this year. I remember that being, Venus was like so bright and, and beautiful in the early morning sky. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, I see Venus pretty much every night before, just as I uh, head to bed. Hmm. Um, and so that's that's over, right? Venus is, um, you know, going to be invisible so, because she's so close to the sun. Um, and you get the uh, the Kazemi at the end of October. So that's sort of outside of the, the realm of our discussion for September, but it's headed towards that. And so it's Venus in Libra, but it's, uh, it's also um, sort of the end of a Venus cycle. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not as like bright and energetic and out there, you know, Venus doesn't get to kind of, um, rock out, uh, uh, under her own light, right. It's hidden by the sun. So it's a, it's a quieter Venus in Libra. It's less outwardly social than uh, we would generally predict for Venus in Libra, more internal, um, in terms of balance, more personal in terms of questions of relation and balance. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, this actually brings up, and it'll be a good segue to mention, the two electional charts that Lisa Scheim and I found for this month because they both incorporate that Venus uh, into Libra, that, that ingress. So the main one, and I found this in the year ahead electional report that we put out in the fall of last year, but it's a very quick um, time window and it's a little bit experimental, but if you can take advantage of it, it's worth giving a shot. So our electional chart for this month, it's set for, um, there it is, for September 30th at about 6.25 a.m. with zero degrees of Libra rising. So it puts the ascendant in Libra and Venus right on the degree of the ascendant, just about rising over the eastern horizon. So we like this chart because one of the things we're shooting for here is making this a night chart. So it happens just before sunset 
and you want to use the election as soon as the ascendant switches into Libra so that you can keep it a night chart and therefore make it so that Venus is of the sect in favor. So it's the benefic of the sect. It's the most positive planet in the chart. It's right on the ascendant and it's the ruler of the ascendant in the first whole sign house. And Venus is applying to that opposition with Jupiter. So it's applying to a benefic and it doesn't have any hard aspects from malefics. So the only real downside is it being under the beams, but because Venus is in her home sign, she's kind of ameliorated for that or protected to some extent in terms of her efficacy, even if her expression becomes more internalized or hidden in some sense. So this is a very good Venus election. Um, the moon is also in the sign of Sagittarius, and it's separating from the benefics unless in some time zones it may still be applying to a trine of Jupiter or other things like that, but even if it's not, it should be applying to a sextile with the sun, which is pretty decent. Um, you do want to keep it as a night chart if you can, so keep the ascendant as early in Libra as possible before sunrise. Um, otherwise, that opposition, sign-based opposition from the moon to Mars is going to become more problematic if it switches from a night chart to a day chart. That's the experimental part of this because it gives you a very narrow window of basically just zero degrees of Libra rising. But otherwise, it's a very good chart for Libra or Venus-related activities, which can be things like um, you know artistic expression, uh, you know art, uh, not just like cleaning, but like redecorating or making something more aesthetically appealing in some way. Anything that needs a positive aesthetic appeal in order to be successful. Um, what other things would you guys use like a Venus and Libra election for? I was thinking with moon and its joy in the third that this might be a good one for changing your your dating profile pick. Okay. Yeah, I like that. You know, Jupiter's in the seventh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So update those tender tender profile picks. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, other social media pictures and things like that. So that's one version of it. And because it's such a tight and narrow window, really, right before sunrise, we also have an alternative chart this is set for um kind of late at night but it's on september 30th at about 12 25 a.m so set your chart to about 12 25 a.m local local time and if you do that you should end up with a chart that has uh, cancer rising and it moves that venus placement down to the fourth whole sign house um, and try to adjust it so that you get the degree of the IC there around Venus. Um, the ruler of the ascendant is the moon, which is in the sixth house, but then it's either applying to a sextile with Venus in the fourth, or it's applying to a trine with Jupiter in the tenth, which really helps to mitigate uh, and make the moon much more positive in this instance. Well, I like um, this one. I, this this has something that I wanted from the other one, hmm. which is the moon is between aspects from Venus to Jupiter. The, right. the moon is doing a sextile, to, just departing from a sextile with Venus, and then moving into a trine with Jupiter. So you have the like the opposite of a besiegement, uh, yeah. or you have the moon trapped between good and better. Yeah, right. Which is uh, very useful for a lot of reasons, and it rules the ascendant. Um, so that's 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 very nice. Yeah. yeah. So, and with Venus in the fourth house or shifted from the first to the fourth, it can be good for uh, matters pertaining to the home and living situation or the family. Like that could be a good chart for like redecorating or doing something in terms of, you know, I've mentioned interior design, but this is actually a really good 
um, example of that in terms of an election for like completely redecorating one's home or living situation or something like that. Yeah, maybe you're not retiling your bathroom at midnight, but you're ordering the tiles. Right. So they don't come like cracked and broken. I mean, if you're if you're like a night owl like like Austin, you might right. be redecorating at midnight. Right. You might be redoing your floor. Yeah, that's not what I'm doing at midnight. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. All right, good times. So those are the two um, best electional charts that Lisa and I, sh Lisa Scheim and I found for September. But we also found five other auspicious dates uh, during the course of September, which we released as part of our auspicious elections podcast uh, for people that sign up for our page on Patreon.com. So people can find the link to our Patreon in the description below this video on YouTube or on the podcast website if they want to get access to some of those other charts for earlier in the month. Um, yeah. So those are the two electional charts for for September. So um, is there anything else we meant to mention in terms of the forecast? Because that puts us like right up. We're getting into like October transits at this point. Mm -hmm. So that might be it in terms of the astrology of, of September. I think that's yeah. it. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, what do you two have going on this month? What are you working on over the course of September? Are you launching any new things? Catherine, I know you're launching a new course. Yeah, so it's not necessarily new, but we're doing another rendition of my foundations course. So that's mm -hmm. going to begin on September 7th. So it's a 11-week program, and we try to fit a lot in those 11 weeks. So if you want to revisit foundations or you haven't gotten there yet, uh, you can st there's still time to join in. And I'll also be at the Astrology Gathering. It's a little conference in Lilydale, New York, Western New York. So that one's a lot smaller than the ESAR conference that we were talking about at the beginning. And I will be working at that one. I will be giving a talk on astrology as divination. Very much looking forward to it. Very nice. appropriate. That sounds awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Lilydale is famous for its um, necromancers. Yeah. Right. Isn't there like a euphemism for that? Or is there a prettier way that it's said instead of necromancers? Spiritualists. Spiritualism. Well, yeah, people that's who it. people who who speak with the dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a town of psychic mediums. Okay. So yeah, that's that's kind of the angle I was going. Right. Um, and what's your website again? Uh, you can find me at katherineurban.com. And also I'm on the social platforms at Astro Catherine. Okay. Perfect. Um, Austin, what do you have coming up? Well, not exactly coming out, coming up, but literally came out while we were recording um, was a new Sphere and Sundry series. Nice. Um, which is a, a, a beautiful election with Venus in Libra. For, yeah, Venus in Pisces from earlier this year is, uh, during the period where Venus was co-present with Jupiter. Mm. Um, and it's the uh, it's the partner to the last one that, that got released, which was a moon in Cancer trine Venus. And so that one was let's use Venus's beneficence to get a great moon uh, election. This was literally the same day, but later when it was the hour of Venus and Venus was prominent. So let's use that Cancer moon to support uh, Venus. So uh, really nice Venus in Libra or gah, Venus in Pisces. I don't think we'll be able to find a better election for several years, mm. maybe at least five. I looked forward. Oh, yeah, because Saturn's going to go into Pisces. Yeah. Um, so it's out for the next, you know, two and a half, three. And like, good luck getting a co-presence with Jupiter. Yeah. Um, so it's about as it's about as good as you can get with Venus in uh, Pisces, which is pretty fucking good. Nice. So that, that came out during this podcast. We did um, 
Um, we had similar similar electional parameters in line. Right. So go check out Sphere and Sundry for that. All right. So that's SphereandSundry.com. Indeed it is. Brilliant. All right. Um, as for myself, I'm going to keep doing the podcast. I'm recording some interviews in person. I just re recorded one with Nicholas Mutz Alsop on fertility astrology that I'm going to release early next month and continue just moving forward. I uh, released the progressions episode with Catherine and also just released a major episode on transits that I'd recommend people watch because I've been waiting until I could do that episode really well. And I finally did it with Lisa uh, a couple months or a couple weeks ago, and it, it came out really well. And we're going to do a follow-up at some point on transits with more examples and do a little bit of a Q&A with listeners. Um, the other thing is you mentioned social media, Catherine, and I finally, I've been joking about it and it was kind of a joke for a couple of years, but I finally actually started a TikTok account and I'm not going to be doing any dances on it necessarily, but I am going to release some clips of the podcast there and other like behind the scenes, like content related to the podcast on TikTok in short little 30 second, one minute or three minute clips. Uh, especially for some of our, our younger generation friends where that's like their main social media platform. I'm pretty sure the last time you all had me as a guest for the forecast, that was the joke of our election chart for June. Okay, to start a TikTok account. That Chris would start a TikTok account. Right. Well, I actually did it. I, I, call, I called everyone's bluff and I've started a TikTok account. So you can find that at tiktok.com slash astrology podcast or just at astrology podcast, however you find it there on, on TikTok. You gonna join TikTok? Are you gonna do like a dance or join TikTok, Austin? Um, I'll just say this: if I do join TikTok, I yeah. will do a dance. Okay, <laughs> all right. I will hold you to that. I'll see maybe before you leave Colorado. We'll see if we can get something going. Maybe, yeah. Okay. If I join TikTok, <laughs> okay. All right. Chances are low. Cool. Well, we we will leave it at that. And in the meantime, um, thanks everybody. It was great doing this episode with you. Thanks both of you for coming out to Denver and and Austin. This is your idea to record this in person because it's been like two years since we recorded an episode in person back what before we did the 2020 forecast. Yeah, or something it was like that. end of November 2019. Yeah, back in the good good old days of Jupiter and Sagittarius. <laughs> it was bad. It was the yeah last party of the. Uh, yeah, party at world's end. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, this worked out really well. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll start doing these again more often here in person as the world starts to, to move into whatever the next phase is. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. This is fun being in the studio. Yeah. And actually, um, you announced recently, worth mentioning like a personal note, that you had like a life change that sort of occurred. Yes. So I'm expecting a baby. Yeah, that's the big news. And then we were talking about your Mars transit. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it was just a weird synchronicity that I just recorded the like fertility astrology episode a couple of days ago. And then you also flew out basically the next day. And I think you're the possibly the first, I don't know, like 100%, but I want to say the first guest on the podcast or co-host uh, that was pregnant at the time yeah the youngest the youngest baby on the podcast <laughs> right <laughs> young youngest uh guest ever on the astrology right. podcast that's funny i like that right and chris is, chris has um uh, mars in his fifth house of children for the next eighteen thousand months right yeah yeah and creativity so that venus and libra should should help enhance that for you all right. Well, maybe at first future, like Mars 
revisits to Gemini. Maybe you can come back and we can get like a follow-up interviews to see see how things are going. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, cool. All right. Well, that's it. So thanks both of you for joining me. Uh, thanks everyone for watching or listening. Thanks to everybody that joined us, all the patrons and our live audience. This is a great like experiment with doing a live studio recording with an audience. So thanks for your your support. And that's it for this episode of the podcast. So thanks for watching and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped us support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, and Jake Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrology podcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. And finally, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com. The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the AstroGold Astrology app, which is available for iPhone and Android. You can find out more information about that at astrogold.io. Mm-hmm.